0: We meet House Tyrell. Something that stands out right away is their abundance. They are fancy, and there's a lot of them. Loras Tyrell, the Knight of Flowers, canters onto the screen, decked out in armor and finery with his horse to match. Altogether, that quite likely cost more than Ned Stark's entire wardrobe, and he's a third son. When King's Landing, the largest city in Westeros, was starving, they brought food. Enough for everyone. Can't really fathom how much it costs to take up all the food burden for an entire city. A city! Seven dollars. Seven dollars. $7. That's less than I thought. All right, well, I can, <laughs> I'm can i going to start funding cities. <laughs> and they didn't have this because they saved up. They didn't have to, like, max out their credit cards, you know? Let's not forget how much it costs to put armies in the field either, which the Tyrells were doing simultaneously while feeding all that food to King's Landing. They've done a lot. Yeah,
1: briefly yeah. put an army in the
0: field. <laughs> so 1050 is our total running cost so far. The Tyrells have done a lot of that throughout A Song of Ice and Fire and other times, and of course, before them, it wasn't the Tyrells. And in between those times where war has been afoot, they simply stack up that wealth for the day when it does arrive. So they're always very well prepared for that in terms of money and food. With so much swag and wealth accumulated over the centuries, you'd think their home would be rather upscale as well. And you'd be right. To house a house like House Tyrell, there's Highgarden, arguably the most beautiful of all castles of Westeros and definitely the hedge-maziest. That's right, it has giant hedge maze, which will be one of our many subtopics today. It rules the Reach, representing the heart of fertility and the ancient traditions that have existed since the time of Garth Greenhand, a symbol of growth and plenty himself. Because it's not just the place they store all this wealth, it's how a lot of that wealth is generated, either directly or indirectly. Highgarden gets paid. One way we'll show the wealth of Highgarden is by comparing anecdotes about it to other castles, but we'll have a lot of other ways to showcase that vast wealth. We haven't actually seen it on page Though there's reason to believe we will, we'll get into that, and there are a lot of descriptions and history given to us in the sources, I think Highgarden is likely the place that has the most off-page events occur amongst locations that we haven't actually been to. That gives us a topic as fertile as the region it ruled. We'll dig deep into all that and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone! Welcome back to another episode of our show. Glad you could be here. Whether you're listening on your way to work, while doing chores, or watching, or if you're here in the live stream, appreciate that. Let's have some fun, John. What do you uh, What do you got in your in your cup today? Something high, garden or fertile? Represent
1: a little more orange than yellow, but I was trying to represent the Tyrell flower. This is the mango naked drink with the Mango Monster with classic Mountain Dew.
0: For you, that's kind of ordinary. <laughs> but the color is not. That's neat.
2: Certainly I- no soy sauce shot like last.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's soy sauce. Oh,
2: I'll be right back. I forgot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our good friend Nina, a.k.a. Good Queen Alley. Her Tumblr blog is at Alley with one L.tumblr.com. She used to do something called House Words Wednesday for quite a while there. And every once in a while, she'll fire that back up. And this is one of those times she did one on House Elisham of the Paps. And it comes with a thorough description of why the Paps would have the words they have and just some historical creativity and imagination and and putting together what details we have. It's quite good. I recommend checking it out. And it contains a link to all her past House Words as well, which is really fun because she's very attentive to detail coming up with words that fit. So it's basically she's done this with houses that don't have their own house words, which there's quite a few. So basically that's a way to fill that in, something to rest on until maybe George gives an official version. A lot of times Ninas are better, so <laughs> check that out. This episode was voted on by patrons. If you want to get involved in the voting, you can sign up at patreon.com slash History of Bustros. Next week is not a live stream. We will not be we're going to be recording it in advance and posting it on Sunday at the usual time, but we won't be live. It's going to be on the Isle of Nath. Ah, Nath, the butterfly isle, where Miss Sunday is from. That one was not voted on by patrons. We snuck that one in there, but the week after was, it was voted Nath. on. Sorry,
2: on? it was not voted on,
0: non voted on, <laughs> not voted on. Yes,
2: depending on, on. if to say Nath or Noth, I suppose I, I, I gotta say, Noth more often.
3: <laughs> Nath, yeah, <laughs> <I'm under> Nath. <laughs> I do Nath,
2: I say, <said>, nah, <laughs> <laughs> they
0: have butterflies, they're not sheep, but that's the sound the <laughs> butterflies make. They're very strange butterflies. The week after that, we'll have the Neducation episode, which was voted on by patrons. That's an episode on the childhood and upbringing, a.k.a. the Neducation of Stark. Time in the Veil, his looking up to Brandon, his protectivity of Liana, all that fun stuff. Little Benjen mixed into. So Rickard, of course, will be prominent in that one. That'll be pretty fun. Y'all voted on that one. Bigger... We had four suggestions there, and Ned won that one pretty handily. So, yeah, folks are interested in Ned's childhood. If this episode ends and you want to stay immersed with other episodes from our catalog that are related, we've got you covered. We'll have suggestions at the end, along with the answer to a trivia question, which is, A. Lord Hightower, we don't know which one, once claimed that the Red Mountains were green until a certain king invaded and painted them with Dornish blood, what king is he referring to? The first mention of Highgarden is where we will start, and with that comes a quote.
2: She had never seen this land her brother said was theirs, this realm beyond the narrow sea. These places he talked of, Pastorly Rock and the Erie, Highgarden and the Vale of Erin, Dorne and the Isle of Faces, they were just words to her.
0: We've quoted that one several times that's Danny of course thinking about Westeros which she's never seen and big important location that swim around in her imagination and things that have been described to her.
2: It's well, funny because hmm. she tells she really doesn't really know them because she says "Cashley Rock and the Eyrie, Highgarden and the Vale of Arryn. You really think you'd bundle the Eyrie and the Vale of Arryn together? <laughs> it's yeah, certainly that's not
0: Dorn and the Isle of Faces
2: yeah I know the Isle
0: of Faces really sticks out it's like those are all big castles <laughs> or a country in Dorn's place or a part of one Vale's and the Isle of Faces yeah. is just a little island still it's really
3: just words that's <laughs>
0: why they're all mashed together because she's only heard stories about them she doesn't have the full context so kind of works in that sense
1: that was really early right was that Daniel- I mean, it's her first chapter. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like Daniel I wonder yeah. if George had it fleshed out in his mind that well or if he purposely had her be inaccurate, you know? Yeah, yeah. Probably a little of both, you know. So he she's heard only descriptions of Highgarden.
0: She's never been there. And that hey, they're kind of kind of similar to us. Now we've had a lot, we have a lot more source material to dig on. We should probably do a better job of Viserys did describing Highgarden, who honestly he probably never saw it either. Viserys probably never went to Highgarden. He may have. He was seven-ish when yeah. they fled, so it's possible he visited there, but he would have been. Five or something. Yeah, a lot of them are just words to him, too. So her descriptions would probably be pretty far off given that. But maybe she'll see it. And maybe she'll burn it. (laughs) 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 We'll see. That is also something we will discuss today. Despite it being a place we've never seen, it is mentioned a lot. 165 times in just A Song of Ice and Fire doesn't count. World of Ice and Fire doesn't count. Fire and Blood or Drunken Eggs. A lot.
1: Yeah, Nina says the same thing. I think thing. it gets up to like 300 when you put them all
0: together. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big number. It goes up a ton. The TV show version, we have seen it there, but it really doesn't look like the book version at all, except for the location. The castle doesn't look like Highgarden, but they did at least put it on a broad forested hill surrounded by a flat, grassy plain. So the, near, the nearby terrain, it looks pretty close to what it should look like, but not the castle. So, eh, you know, no golden roses for sure.
1: I realize another little clarification we should make too, not not to downplay it, but a lot of the mentions of High Garden in a book, like if you do a search of Ice and Fire, they're actually talking about this is that Lord of High Garden. It's not yeah. always a reference to the structure they're, of the location. They refer to it as a
0: force rather than castle. Like what will High Garden do? Yeah. And they're referring to yeah. the decision makers, not the you know, castle is it? Yeah. it doesn't have some brain sitting inside making oh maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But that's also kind of what we're going to do too, right? Yes. We're not just going to talk about the architecture of the walls. We're going to talk about the people in charge of it yeah. and the history of the culture and everything else. But we will mostly
0: focus on the latter because the people are their own subject, like the gardeners. we're not. This certainly isn't a comprehensive discussion of the gardeners or the Tyrells, but obviously there's going to be lots of them. Let's have the first mention of Highgarden from the Spake Martin collection. So this is a George quote directly.
2: Highgarden and Casterly Rock are the two richest and most powerful of the Great Houses. The Lannisters have greater wealth, but the Tyrells can put more men in the field.
0: Not only are they important to the story, but in real life, think about how much people gossip about the richest families in the world or the, just the people. Like front page news is always like the five richest people are always in the center of the news. or Well, not always. I mean, the five richest Americans. There's richer people that just don't get in. But what, you see what I'm talking about? Same point. Gossip. People love to gossip about the rich. The second ever mention of Highgarden comes up for us here. It's, it's very descriptive of not just the place, but the region, and it's very telling.
1: Oh. You need to taste the summer before it flees. Highgarden, there are fields of golden roses that stretch away as far as the eye can see. Fruits are so ripe, they explode in your mouth. Melons, peaches, fire plums Never tasted such sweetness. That's
0: Robert speaking to Ned, of course. Now, Nina had a great spot here. It might be Robert saying all this because they've been preaching the virtues of Highgarden to him because they're trying to get him to set Cersei aside to marry Marjorie. So the virtues and benefits of Highgarden are probably front and center because that plot has been ongoing as the scene happens. We don't find that out till later. We're all rereaders here, so we're able to look at this stuff and say, "Oh yeah, there's a little extra reason why Robert's so enamored with it it's probably been on his mind a lot lately. He's even probably visited there recently because they're yes, they're trying to sell Marjorie
1: even beyond selling Marjorie to him, I'm sure they have a plan B and C like, okay, fine, Marjorie to Joffrey, or yep. you know Loris to Marcella, on and on they they want to play themselves up for whatever." Connection they can get in the royal family.
0: Finally it went Marjorie Renley. That's what they went with. As we well know, yep. that's
1: what they had to settle on.
2: Of Actually, they ended up going Marjorie Renley, Marjorie yeah Coffrey, Marjorie
0: <laughs> Right. They didn't stop there. All those things happened. Yeah,
2: Thought about Laura Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They thought
0: about all the plane Plan combos. E, plan F, plan G. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of plans. It, also, that quote from Robert, though, it's the allure of the South encapsulated standing in stark contrast to the North, which has none of these things. And that's not really a big draw for Ned. He's not moved by exploding fruit in your mouth <laughs> or the descriptions of women certainly weren't making it any different for him. It certainly was for Robert. Robert's like, oh yeah, like they're all sweaty and they barely wear any clothing. And yeah, Ned's like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. <laughs> Just nodding politely. You're not really selling me on the place, you know, <laughs> it's not, that's not my thing, you know, Robert. How, do you know me at all, Robert? And like, no, the answer is no. And Highgarden re- represents the center of all that. All of that exploding fruit, <laughs> the fertility plenty comes from Highgarden. It's the heart of all that. It all grows from that center. But it's also the heart of excess. It's also where too much. You know, someone like Ned is almost, not only is he not interested, he's almost turned off by all that. Like that, I kind of, Excess makes a person go soft. And he's looking at Robert when he's thinking that, who has definitely gone soft. It's like the forbidden fruit, in a sense, all that temptation of of too much, of how having things too easy can cause problems down the line. Nina says it's also just straight up a reminder of the coming winter. Summer is fleeing. As Robert alludes to, he says, you know, you got to taste that. You need a taste of summer before it flees. First line there, quoted. And there's a lot of symbolism in that line and a lot of high garden in the center of it. Winter is going to affect it one way or another, even if it's not right in their face. Yeah,
1: you know, I didn't even think about it until you went down that line, but it's a good contrast of Ned's mentality or maybe the Northern mentality and Robert's. Robert's thinking like, oh, we got to get it while we can. You're right, yeah. like mm-hmm. immediate satisfaction. Get this sweetness before we lose it. Ned. And the North is like, winter is coming. We need to be prepared for the tough times, right? Not let's indulge quick while we can. Let's prepare for the future while we can. That's a great point. He says we need to use these
0: pleading moments to prepare, not to enjoy ourselves what has gone out. Ned, being a northerner, understands this better than Robert. Robert should understand it being king. It's all his responsibility. But Robert being Robert, it's not a surprise (laughs) that he's not thinking along those lines. Let's talk about the founding of it. Here is another quote to describe that.
2: The great castle of Highgarden, the ancient seat of the Tyra lords and the Gardener kings before them, sits atop a verdant hill overlooking the broad and tranquil waters of the Mander. Seen from afar, the castle, quote, looks so much a part of the land, one could think that it had grown there rather than being built. Many consider Highgarden to be the most beautiful castle in all the Seven Kingdoms, a claim that only the men of the Vale see fit to dispute.
0: We start with location because that's the first thing that goes into a castle, choosing where you're going to put it, and it seems like that was a really, really good spot. And I love that description. Looks so much a part of the land. One could think that it had grown there rather than being built. That's partly true. I mean, it is, as we go on to describe it further, you'll see there's just nature is all ev- everywhere, like cultivated nature, but there's trees, vines, and roses, and gardens just all over the thing throughout and inside and outside the castles. It does sound really beautiful. I
2: imagine somewhat goes to personal taste. You're totally right. Like yeah. If you like a, a, a stark you know, landscape and mountainscapes and, and all of that, snow-capped mountains, I, I, yeah, you're going to like the Erie more if you like a view like that. But if you're like me and you would rather see just like greenery everywhere and like flower, like, yeah, the, the High Garden blows it away. I choose High Garden. It's easy for me, but I, I can see it being hard.
3: Yeah. And they both
0: have that thing with High is Honor and High Garden, right? They're both secret. <laughs> They're all secret pothead.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: High Garden is said to have been built by Garth the Gardener. Garth was supposedly the eldest son of many sons and daughters of Garth Greenhand, the mythical founding figure. Surely it didn't begin as the most beautiful. I mean, it was just a start. And then over time, it had to grow that way, especially because the natural features of it, you can't just build that. Like you plant the rocks, mortar and all that. You can't make a hedge maze overnight. That has to be grown can't make a a garden overnight that has to be grown, right? If they planted trees, those would have had to grow. So if you're looking on screen, if you're watching the video version of this, we've got Michael Klarfeld's high garden. It's really, really awesome. It's super well done. He's paid a lot of attention to the detail. If you zoom in, you see statues, you see colonnades, you see sept, you see a little bit of cracks in some of the foundation to represent the age. Some of those, you see pines crawling up the wall, you see a heart tree, What's that behind you there? Oh, yes, the exact same map. Also, <laughs> reach as well. It's a little harder to make out, but yeah. It bears mention that High Garden also predates the Erie by, well, we don't know. <laughs> Construction was begun on the Erie by Roland I, Aaron, grandson of Artis I, who was the first king of Mountain and Vale. Uh, the Aarons were originally Kendall. So it's probably substantial. So maybe the Erie, where they were. Trying to match. And that is what we're told. We're told that Roland I believed the Gates of the Moon, which was the original seat of power for them, was inferior to Highgarden or Castle Rock. And his wife, Lady Tiora Hunter, in turn, inspired him to build Erie in order to match or exceed them. So, yeah, that, Nina says, that might also suggest that Highgarden was considerably older than Erie, that it had been well established alongside the also definitely ancient casterly rock founded by land or by the castles taken by the weather. So it does seem to argue for a pretty long period between those. Now, arguing over which is more beautiful does seem like a dead end, but as Shay pointed out, it comes down to taste, but it also comes down to season, right? Like if you're looking at High Garden in the winter, when the golden roses aren't in bloom and a lot of that greenery isn't there, the spectacular views of the vale might Jump up. Neither castle really would be a, at its prime in winter. Like any ancient castle, it can't be looked at as a monolith, especially because it's many stones stacked on top of each other. Yeah, so it's literally God. not a monolith. <laughs> a multi-lift. A multilith. But like any ancient castle, like we see with Winterfell, there's additions and changes and variations and setbacks and jumps forward and mismanagement and good kings and bad kings, all sorts of things. One can only imagine, though, how overwhelmed Garth was when discovering the site, or have or being told of it. We don't know who stumbled on it first, other than you know the children of the forest were there first. But out of humans, we have no idea. It would speak for itself, though. Like I said, the location looks amazing. It's a hill surrounded by flat plain. Like there's, there's no other hills that match it in the nearby vicinity. So it's the tallest point in the region, and it's got the natural fertility that would be obvious to anyone, especially people of that era who lived closer to nature than. People do in modern times, let alone in real world. The vantage
1: point to the mandarin,
0: right? Yeah. Like, you, the man, yeah, you could see really far. Like, no one's going to sneak up on them with an arm. <laughs> You're going to see it coming from far away. It's easier to approach, unlike the veil, but there's no sneaking up. Nina says this goes back to the foundational mythology, which has been at the heart of the Reach politics for thousands of years. The heirs to Garth Greenhead are not called gardeners accidentally. The name signifies the desire of this dynasty to style itself as the rightful successor to that legendary heroic patriarch who made this land, who tamed it, made it into what it is, who taught men to farm, taught them agriculture, taught them all the tricks of making a living from the land and not just making a living, but prospering. In High Garden, it's the best garden, supreme garden, the grandest of gardens, the greenest. And over time, they have kept that title. No one really doubts it. Just kind of a part of Westerosi cultural norm it is the heart of fertility. Never changed there. Climate is what it is. The, got the best soil, <laughs> the best climate. That's not like to change even after a long time. Nina uses the term Garthian here in her writing, which I really like. <laughs> I'll try to find other term otherwise to use Garthian as a word.
2: <laughs> Talking about Wayne's World. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: and
1: Darthian is. Screw her. <laughs> yeah, comparing High Garden to Vale, for example, like you know, the Vale might be harder to get to, but it's harder to sneak up on High Garden. But another factor is it's harder to get anything to the Vale, yeah, right? Like mm-hmm. it's hard for them to get food. High Garden is all around them. It's, it's, I almost think it's I, on some within, level, the, within
0: their region, it's not hard, like going from the Erie to. Runestone, but yes, but from inside to outside or the other way around. That's the right. I'm yeah. Just clarifying, yeah, you
1: totally. Right. You know, a lot of times you see these cool castles, especially like fantasy castles, real world castles. Maybe it's still to some extent have this challenge, but not as much as fantasy castles when they're like these tall towers on some isolated island or something. All I ever think is like how does anyone ever leave that place or get food <laughs> in there? What yeah. do they go to the bathroom? Like, I just think about how many stairs you have to climb, like just the reality of how you would function in that building. And I appreciate that George sort of addressed that. They just leave during the winter. <laughs> they, just, they just leave. They don't yeah. live there. <laughs> no, it's not like
0: someone's going to come take it. Like, it's, you can't live there. Like, even someone who would come take it would just be like, yeah, let them have it. They're going to be leaving. They're going to discover that you can't live Good there. Good luck with now. that. Yeah. <laughs> But High Garden does not have that problem, right? No. no it's twenty four, it's it's twenty four seven, three sixty-five. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's probably not how many days in the year are in Westeros, but you get my meaning. But let's also think about the way that quote was worded. Part that's a quote within a quote. Looks so much a part of the land one could think that it'd grown there rather than being built. Another word I've put here is eldest son of a legendary green of fire. He's a symbiote with nature himself. I mean, yeah. This is a good example, I think, of Tolkien's influence on George because this is very elvish, this stuff. feels like the elves are one with nature in a lot of ways. They don't cut trees down so much as encourage them to grow different ways and shape them, and yeah, a lot of like what's happening here, and Garth Greenhand certainly fits that mythos somewhat. Yeah, Garth literally made the land bloom. The castle is blooming too, and that's true for a lot of these castles. A lot of these castles... Add their mythology to the founding myth, like Thorim's end, expression of Durin God's griefs, war with the gods, and victory. But let's get a quote of what it looks like now, because that'll enable us to you know, work our way backwards into what it used to look like.
2: The hill from which High Garden rises is neither steep nor stony, but broad in extent, with gentle slopes and a pleasing symmetry. From the castle's walls and towers, a man can see for leagues in all directions, across orchards and meadows and fields of flowers, including the golden roses of the Reach that have long been the sigil of House Tyrell.
0: Yeah, so since this place was so amazing, we have to think that the children of the forest and perhaps the giants were there in old days. You'd think they would have maybe cherished the place, but maybe not might be assuming too much about what the children of the forest care about because they're not using it to farm, and that's part of what made it so good was it was great farmland. Children of the forest don't care about farmland. They, they care about fertility, but they don't farm. But either way, this losing this locale, if they treasured it, it may have been particularly painful. I mean, see how valuable it was to the humans if it was a spiritual center or something like that. Some of the myths around Garth Greenhand include his failed attempts to teach the giants and children of the forest how to farm. Those races rejected it. They didn't want to learn how to do that. They thought maybe like maybe they're a little bit like the Dothraki, who think that tilling the earth and all that is sinful. Obviously, there's not many comparisons between the Dithraki and the children of the forest, but that is something maybe they have in common, although for all I know, the reasons why they reject farming might be very different. Maybe this is also an attempt, Nina writes, to justify the seizure of this territory. Certainly possible, though general, I don't know that humans care about justifying <laughs> what they've taken from the children. <laughs> I don't know that they see that as something evil. So maybe not. But still, it might, it might do to make the myth a little friendly.
1: You know, humans aren't a monolith. They are also multiliths. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there might have been some humans who were more mongering or greedy and just wanted the land. And others that were concerned like, hey, this land belongs to the children. And someone might have pointed, out, like, "Yeah, but they're not doing anything with it. Look what we could make here! Think of the food that we could produce." On and on and on. And like, okay, I guess you're right. It might have been a method or a factor in the decision. You know?
0: Yeah. In addition to the location being really fertile, the fact that it's on hill overlooking the Mander—that's a really great place to do. B. The Mander is huge. It's the biggest, but uh, in Westeros, by several metrics, there's lots of. You can put on rivers, length, depth, width, things like that, you know, how fast it runs. Several of those metrics, Mander, Mander is first. Also enables them to control a lot of what's happening. Cause they're kind of south along the Mander. So anything that wants to move towards the sea, if it's gonna have to pass Highgard Anything that's coming up from the sea is also gonna pass Highgar. So they really control the mouth of the Mander, even though they're not right on it. We have theorized that Dunstanbury, a former seat of House Manderley, there, it's entirely possible no one ever built a city at the mouth of Mander, and the reason for that would be because Highgarden wouldn't have wanted them to, because they wanted to maintain that control for themselves. Yeah, entirely possible. Either way, it's an extremely powerful spot, not just because
1: of land, but because of that positioning on the river. It could be a, I don't know, a, a sister city? What Doesn't Castle Rock have like a nearby port that they kind of oversea?
0: Well, not really. Landisport is right next to Castle Rock, and that's a full city, and Castle Rock has its own port under the mountain. But for example, Athens. I've used this as an example before. Athens, when it was a city-state, it's inland. But it had a a port city that was part of Athens called the Piraeus, and like 30 miles away. So definitely not close. So yeah, you you might be right. They may have had some docks, some like sister city that they didn't consider City, but was owned and maintained and completely controlled by Highgarden. Let's now describe the castle's exterior.
2: Highgarden is girded by three concentric rings of crenellated curtain walls made of finely dressed white stone and protected by towers as slender and graceful as maidens. Each wall is higher and thicker than the one below it. Between the outermost wall that girdles the foot of the hill and the middle wall above it can be found Highgarden's famed Briar Maze, a vast and complicated labyrinth of thorns and hedges, maintained for centuries for the pleasure and delight of the castle's occupants and guests. And for defensive purposes, for intruders unfamiliar with the maze cannot easily find their way through its traps and dead ends, to the castle gates.
0: Apparently Westerosi just love white walls because a lot of castles have white walls. The Castle of White Walls had White Walls. Starfall has white walled, apparently, and Bellstone Sword Tower is part of that castle. It's not stated to be marble. It could be. I'm guessing it's not, or they would have said so. So even though the gardeners could probably afford it, we don't know about any marble quarries near there. We know there's some in Tarth and some in the Vale, and we know that Marble of the Vale was not cool enough for the Errands. They outsourced their marble to Tarth. So it might be that marble is a little rare in Westeros, and so even the gardeners couldn't get enough of it. Either way, it looks amazing. Sounds awesome. Triple walls. Where else have we heard of triple walls? It's not the only place that has triple walls. Carth, Constantinople, in real in real life, had difficult to take triple walls. But such walls have certainly undergone maintenance, rebuilding, and they didn't start with three sets of walls. They started with one, and then over time, it kept going and kept going.
1: It really, the very start off, wasn't even one wall, right? There wasn't, or am I mixing that up? Did it, I think they had the no original? walls
0: at first, yeah. I think they yeah. didn't even have a wall at first, so they added one. I think the first wall was added when the Andal invasion. not clear whether that was the second or first wall.
1: I realized when I said that just now that I was actually juxtaposing with my mind, I'm kind of equating High Garden to Versailles. Oh, okay. Versailles started off as like a wooden lodge. Yeah. And now it's like one of the most elaborate palaces in the world.
0: Yeah, and, and that's how King's Landing started, too. It started as like a little set of hovels and trade boats and egg, the Aegon Fort, which was made of wood, and now it's the Red Keep. Yeah. Just goes to show how these things can grow over time. The hedge maze itself is pretty cool. I mean, hedge mazes are really expensive. We did a little bit of real-world research on hedge mazes. Man, they're—I mean, you can imagine they're expensive. It's just this giant garden. It has to be grown in very specific directions. It has to be trimmed frequently. There's so many different plants that have to be watered and fed. And there's paving stones that have to be managed so that the roots don't grow into them. And it's kind of insane to think about how much a hedge maze this size would cost to upkeep. Modern hedge mazes are mostly for fun. There's a lot of hedge mazes, especially in England. Something about hedge mazes that the British really loved. I don't, I don't entirely know why, but I think most of the hedge mazes in the world are there. There's some that have been around for a few hundred years. They don't date back to super ancient times. Like as far as I know, there weren't hedge mazes in medieval times. There were labyrinths, which are not the same. But fully green hedge mazes have only been around maybe five or six hundred years. So it's it, that's probably why there's only. This is the only one we know of, I think. Might be some other ones somewhere, but they're not mentioned.
1: (laughs) I think too, in modern times, just the knowledge we have of like fertilizer and, you know, irrigation pumps and all that kind of stuff, that they wouldn't have had that. I mean, I guess maybe they would have had some method for like capturing rainwater around the castle and filtering it down to the maze. But it would have taken some ingenuity and or massive resources. I'm going to say maybe abusive labor even. (laughs) <laughs> today. Like, yeah, I probably. just imagine people like carrying buckets of water from the mandarin uphill to that maze. <laughs> <laughs> a little more about the hedge maze later, but
0: let's talk a little more about some of the general greenery around the place with another quote.
2: Within the castle walls, greenery abound, and the keeps are surrounded by gardens, arbors, pools, fountains, courtyards, and man-made waterfalls. Ivy covers the older buildings, and grapes and climbing roses shake up sides of statuary, walls, and towers. Flowers bloom everywhere.
0: Now, Michael Clarfeld did such a great job of, on his map, but I really feel like this greenery is underrepresented in most fan art we've seen because it sounds like it's just everywhere, covering most surfaces. Ivy lives only about 10 years, so it would be constantly regrowing and resetting itself, and that would be the job of <laughs> the many gardeners and I don't mean the kings. I mean the people they hired because, you know, they weren't doing it themselves. They have flowers everywhere. Grapes are just hanging there. I mean, they're just growing. Imagine that. You can just walk along and have some grapes while you're taking a stroll. Probably good ones, too. We have some grapes, wild grapes growing in our backyard, but they're called muscadines. They're not not so good.
1: They're very bitter. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and weirdly, in Georgia, muscadines are like seriously regulated. Like, if I wanted to cultivate them, I'd have to like register. So Castley Rock is richer, but it's a cave, right? It's, it's a mountain. Not, it, you can't really compare it in terms of this metric, in terms of beauty. You want to compare it in terms of power and wealth? Sure. The Erie is also very far from where the food is grown. As we talked about, they abandoned it during the winter because it's just untenable. Think about how much this floral abundance would have done to help the gardeners assert themselves as rightful heirs to Garth Greenhand. The guy that everyone worships as the center of reach culture they have his house the place where all his virtues are espoused the place where his where he lives on right his fertility can still be found there everything seems to be growing plentifully there growing strong indeed right it just the land speaks for itself and in a world where people somewhat believe that the gods make these things the way they are it Sort of seems like the gardeners or the Tyrells, chosen. Been decided on high. High garden. People are in charge. Here's another quote that just continues to fill us with wonder and give us more history.
2: The Keep is a palace like few others, filled with statues, colonnades, and fountains. High gardens, tallest towers, round and slender... Look down upon neighbors far more ancient, square, and grim in appearance, the oldest of them dating from the Age of Heroes. The rest of the castle is of more recent construction, much of it built by King Myrn Sixth after the destruction of the original structures by the Dornish during the reign of Garth Greybeard.
0: We will certainly get to that anecdote about the Dornish and Garth Greybeard, but... The towers square versus those that are quote round and slender. It's kind of like looking back in time. We've been told plenty of times that round towers were a later innovation. Square is easier to build. Similar to Winterfell, right? But better kept. Winterfell has the ruined first keep and old tower that Bran loves to hang out at, but it's still ruined. Like the Starks never either didn't bother to fix it or they can't afford to. Maybe a little both. When it comes to High Garden, it's rarely a case of, oh, they can't afford that, <laughs> especially given the passage of time. There have been times probably, you know, we're talking about a really long period of existence, but for the most part, yeah, just they've always had the money <laughs> and people. I mean, they just have manpower, more manpower. There's more people to pay, let alone more jobs to do. The staff at High Garden probably just orders of magnitude larger than the staff at Winterfell. There's just more people there. And with more people, there's more mouths to feed. And with more mouths to feed, you need more cooks. Everything goes up in number, it's exponential. On
1: some level, much like a lot of modern castles, it's this they're part like, I don't know, I say it's museum, they're part culture, art in and of themselves, right? They, Winterfell doesn't really care about their castle being impressive to the average folk but Highgarden does, yes, right? I think that they are, it's part of their identity, you know? And they have enough abundance to maintain it and it adds to their impressiveness where the Starks don't feel the need to add to their impressiveness. They're more established. The Tyrells are newer and Mm, on and on and on.
3: Yeah,
0: and and Winterfell is a symbol of protection against Winter. It is more more of a fortress. Highgarden's like, it's not a palace, but it's like partly a palace because it's not, there's a lot of concessions to beauty with defense sacrifice. That's a great example. And Winterfell only has two walls, but it's got the Starks behind it. You know, (laughs) there's fewer people that want to take them on. fewer enemies. And their borders are more secure. Like, where are the invading armies going to come from when you're in the north? Other northern houses back in the day would have been the answer. Like I said, the first wall of the three was built during the Andal invasions. As far as we know, I'm sort of guessing that. It might have been the second, but I'm pretty sure it was the first. So they just didn't bother before that. They didn't need it. They were strong enough without it. The wall was built by Myrne II. Myrne the Mason, he was called. Some of the towers date all the way back to the Age of Heroes, it says in that quote. Is that true of the statues as well? That's an interesting question. I mean, that's some really old statues. I'm not sure statues can last that long, but maybe they redo them or maybe they keep them up so well. I mean, there's statues in museums that are really, really old, but they're not 10,000 years old, I don't think. But there is, you know, artwork that's 10,000 years old that's and found, like cave paintings and stuff. So it's possible that there are things that old. Ian has a great point here, bringing up Winterfell again. We know a good bit about the crypts of Winterfell. Certainly there's plenty of mysteries left. Well, we don't really know the, the Gardener or Tyrell burial practices. I feel like returning them to the land would make sense, given their virtues and ethos and all that, burials. But they, they would probably still have tombs for the Gardener kings and the Tyrell kings as well. Those might be underground. Be. they may have some spot for it it'd be a big spot because there's been a lot <laughs> of gardener kings and queens and tyrells after yeah but maybe like maybe that would be a one one place you could find disrepair in high garden like deep 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 down in the crypts but they may not even have crypts you could see it though because they're on a hill
2: i think it'd be so cool if people in the reach or tyrells or anyone like planted the dead bodies
0: yeah that would be pretty cool yeah like expect it to grow out of like like Ender's Game, that world. Yes, there's that with the piggies. They did their kill someone and the tree grows out of them. It's part of their life cycle. That's oh, like mm. influence on the concept of bear with our tree. Oh, cool. So yeah, that, that would sound like this. Like they plant someone and put a, a, a berry tree on top of them, which we saw Arya and some of her friends after they were killed by Armory Lord. One of the Brando's they were with tossed some acorns in the grave so that a tree could grow to mark where they were buried, because otherwise it's an unmarked grave. So that is a cultural thing. That's a thing that exists in this, this, this random commoner just does this. And if, like, if anyone started that tradition, you might think it was the garden back in the day.
1: Or if that random commoner was from the reach.
0: He might have been. Yeah. But also, let's not forget, given we're thinking about what might still be there, but would remain, we did have that anecdote about a lot of things were destroyed and built. I'm not sure that Dornish cared about smashing the statues. But they might have bothered to do that. That can be brutal. You know, these wars between the Dornish and the Reach can be pretty nasty. So destroying all your stuff is is, on, is a possibility. And Nina says, yeah, and also intra-dynastic disputes. The Gardners, being such a fertile family, there had to be some times where there were civil conflicts between them where two different Gardner claimants fought. And that may have, part of that struggle, may have involved destroying the statues of that branch to maybe reduce their prestige or something. Here is another quote. Let's talk about how the gods are viewed here.
2: The gods, both old and new, are well-served in Highgarden. The splendor of the castle sept, with its rows of stained glass windows celebrating the Seven and the ubiquitous Garth Greenhand, is rivaled only by that of the great sept of Baelor in King's Landing, and the starry sept of Old Town. And Highgarden's lush green godswood is almost as renowned, for in the place of a single heart tree, it boasts three towering, graceful, ancient weirwoods whose limbs have grown so entangled over the centuries that they appear to be almost a single tree with three trunks reaching for each other above a tranquil pool. Legend has it these trees known in the Reach as the Three Singers, were planted by Garth Greenhand himself.
0: So yeah, that's such a cool image, the the idea of Garth Greenhand planting the weirwoods sort of blessing the site. It may have been that those trees were already there. If there wasn't a werewood there, they definitely planted one. That's how it worked back then. I assume the Dornish didn't burn the godswood. That's that's a normal thing. Like the Boltons didn't burn the Winterfell godswood when they burned Winterfell. They're like, even we aren't trying to do that kind of evil. <laughs> We're not trying to burn the gods. Like, the first sept that Highgarden was built during the Andal invasion as part of welcoming them. This was by Garth the Knight. And this was part of their strategy. Okay, we can't beat them, but we'll join them. So they started marrying into them. that's basically how the Tyrells came into the play here. We'll, more on that in a minute. Nina says, even the godswood reflects the abundance of Highgarden in a seat literally defined and named by its floral growth and power. It might come as no surprise that the godswood reflect this, where any other pre andal seat in Westeros might have had just one weirwood. Highgarden has three growing together so intertwined that they seem to be one tree rather than three. So yeah, that's just something they could point to and be like, yeah, we're, we're better. We're three, you guys have one. We're bigger. Another thing that goes off the fertility of the place. Also, it's just so interesting how Garth Greenhand just transcends both faiths. Like, he's not part of the Seven. <laughs> he's not even really part of the Old Gods. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just kind of sits atop them both as a straddling point, uniting force. Imagine some vines connecting the two, and he's those vines. But that only exists in the Reach. Like, outside of the Reach, they don't look at him more. See him as a founding figure, but they don't hold him quite as high in esteem. Like in the Reach, they say Brandon the Builder is a descendant of, of Garth Greenhand. And in the North, they don't really say that. <laughs> They're like, nah, they just say that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Nina wonders, like, who would they consider Garth Greenhand the equivalent of if he was, like, is he the father in this? It kind of fits that way if you were going to combine them. But it isn't really that, it doesn't really seem to play out that way. Maybe he seems like a big fatherly figure, but. It would be really interesting to see Highgarden because this is one of the things George would have to describe. He would have to come up with the artwork. We'd see some of this syncretism in play in art, sort of how we see the Targaryens showing their art or the Baratheon, the hunting tapestries, which show Robert all successful and all. these. It would be like that, but way older and representing those times, setting up this long-term sort of triple religious here. It's like the tree, the three trees, and they got three religions all represented by that.
2: I really liked Tina's point about artwork, right? She brought up the idea that art on the walls of the maiden and the warrior in Highgarden would be likely to probably evoke imagery of Maris the Maid and John the Oak, respectively.
0: Try to make them seem similar, yeah. Maris yes. the Maid being the maid and John the Oak being the warrior, yeah, yeah. It fits super well. Making these figures similar to one another helps people. Are we worshiping figures that aren't part of our religion? <laughs> you know, but it's it's really human. We see that all the time in the real world. We see there's all these versions, let's just take Christianity, there's all these versions of Christianity that exist. But a lot of people also worship certain saints or certain other deities alongside that. And it doesn't seem to be a problem. Pretty
1: normal. Or if you even, I don't know, take it as, Step back or whatever, the Abrahamic religions are in a certain way more distinct or diverse, you include many more different religions, but they all still have a lot of the same central figures, even if they're okay, depicted yeah. a little differently, but they still are Yeah. Fundamentally still based on the same thing.
0: That's you know? a great point. Like, yeah, like Islam includes Jesus. They just do him differently. Yeah. And yeah. Judaism Exactly. Yeah, they all he's in their books, <laughs> but yeah. they look at him differently. Yeah. That's a great point. All of this is really important because High Garden is a seat of power. It doesn't just mean wealth, populous, fertile farms, but power over religion as well. They want to also control that aspect of things and be the leader. They're like, yep, we have three werewolves. We have the biggest sept. We have connections to the to our own founding mythologies as well. So they kind of dominate all three religions as well. And High Garden also stands above Old Town, not literally, but in prestige and power, which was the home of the faith until the time of the dragon. So that's a long time for the High Septon to have been living there and issuing his dictates and all that stuff. They've been subordinate to Highgarden all that time. There's been some... There's a first Gardener king. There was a Gardener king called the God's Fearing. First member of House Tyrell to join with Highgarden and to marry into the Gardener family was Alistair Tyrell. And he was an Andal. So Tyrells are Andals. They married into the Gardener, so they acquired the same bloodlines as all the other houses that have traced their descent back to Garth the Gardener. But as we'll see later, this is part of why a lot of houses think the Tyrells are above where they should be. In addition to adapting Andal religion and Andal customs like knighthood, they also brought in lots of Andal craftsmen. Andals knew how to work in steel, and the first men didn't. There's probably other things they knew how to do that aren't as well described, but they wanted to modernize and they wanted to have crafts that were suitable for the new dominant race of Westeros because the Andals were mostly taking over all the noble houses. So having goods to sell them and having your culture reflect this change made a lot of sense. So they, once again, they're staying in the center of things, cultural center, religious center, food center, money center, power center. just seems like they always kept that in the center, meaning themselves. Geographic center? Geographic or... center, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of. Certainly the center of the Reach. Not not necessarily the center of Westeros, but definitely the center of the Reach. Now, one thing I'm not sure about, you brought this up briefly before, Sean, with the ports. Like, I don't know what kind of navies they had. We do know they had them, but that's one of those things that probably ebbed and waned and ebbed and flowed based on certain kings and their needs at the time. We know that they established the shield islands to protect them against the ironborn, and that was pretty effective until it wasn't. But (laughs) that took till about now for them to overcome that. Let's talk specifically about the Gardner era. It took a while for Highgarden to dominate the Reach. It wasn't an overnight thing, obviously. The castle grew, so did their domain. But over time, given their power, their wealth, they just overcame just about everyone in the region. Eventually, that expansion wore itself out. couldn't go all the way into the west. They certainly couldn't expand into Dorne, and the borders with the Stormlands were pretty well defended by the Storm Kings. For a while, though, the Reach was many kingdoms. There were like four kings, major kings in the Reach. Before that, there were even more. All the other regions, the number of kings reduced itself until eventually there were just a few. Even in that era, we have another quote to describe how they stand above everyone.
2: No seat in the Seven Kingdoms has been more celebrated in song than Highgarden, and small wonder, for the Tyrells, and the gardeners before them, have made their court a place of culture and music and high art. In the days before the conquest, the kings of the Reach and their queens presided over tourneys of love and beauty, where the greatest knights of the Reach competed for the love of the fairest maids, not only with feats of arms, but with song— Poetry and demonstrations of virtue, piety, and chaste devotion. The greatest champions, men as pure and honorable and virtuous as they were skilled at arms, were honored with invitations to join the Order of the Green Hand.
0: So, the Order of the Green Hand is a great example of something that centers reach culture on high guard. They do all these things to make you want to be part of it, they create this order that's like, oh, everyone wants to be a part of this. So you, are you part of the Order of the Green Hand? You have to work to be part of it. It's something that you children, young boys grow up wanting to join it. And it's ruled by Highgarden. It's yet another thing that they created that people want to be a part of that enhances their power and prestige and just keeps them just so locked in the middle, the center of power. Nina says, bringing up an example you brought up, Sean, or at least location you brought up, is almost a pseudo-Versailles or proto-Versailles quality to Highgarden, and that comes through in this description of the acme of Highgarden and gardener culture. What the gardeners seem to have figured out, at least to some extent, is that by placing themselves as the ultimate arbiters of chivalric distinction in the Reach, they could draw potential rival aristocrats to Highgarden and replace political ambition with ceremonial scrambling. That's a really good way to put it. She said it better than I did. Basically, you're saying instead of them fighting to be... At the top, they're fighting to be the best under High Garden's rule. So they, they create these tournaments and competitions and things that people want to excel at, but they're all for the greater glory of High Garden. People are fine to go along with that because of all these other things that High Garden does to keep
1: themselves at the top and put themselves so far ahead of everyone else. You know, there's even another, I don't know, value to that. that like the way you're framing it is a little, I don't know how to say this, cynical, maybe, maybe but yeah. like, it's an opportunity for people who otherwise can't get into the upper ranks, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you have these very old institutions. There's no hope for upcomers to progress. But here, here's a new thing that you can be part of, that you can make a name for yourself, that you can make a difference and you know, have a legacy for, et cetera. You know? Yeah. And another good way to look at another non-cynical way to look at it is say,
0: look, these are all people who have been taught to fight, kind of ready to go. Like they're taught to be brave and virtuous in war and things like that. Having ways to practice war without actually killing each other. I mean, it's like an outlet for that violence that they're taught without minimal actual harm being done to each other. And when war does happen, hey, they're a little more ready for it. And it allows them to establish rules of war that do make war a little less brutal. Like chivalry, like war is bad, obviously, but you'd rather have a war fought between two chivalrous sides than two, I don't know, really brutal and angry and vicious sides that have hated each other for centuries. Like, having that standard of behavior actually does help reduce the level of nastiness that happened. Better to just do away with it all, but given that's pretty unrealistic, may as well minimize it, and this is one of those ways.
1: You'd rather have a couple hundred soldiers and knights meet at a scheduled time in a battlefield and duke it out than have Gregor ravaging the lands, yes, right? Like- yes, yes, <laughs> like,
0: the, the pe- keep the peasants out of it. Like, what do they do? What is there? They're not part of this. They didn't start it. They're not going to finish it. All they're doing is growing some food and sending it off, sending their portions off to you and eating the rest themselves. Yeah, it's just, exactly. So there is, there is a lot of value to these things beyond holding power and trying to be in charge. They do also, it does create stability. is a good thing, especially after so long a time, they get to call on that as well. They look, just like in the North, people like, when the Starks are in charge, things are good. When the Gardeners are in charge, things were mostly good. They're not quite as stout in their, <laughs> in their view or in their, with their heritage and all that. We, like we talk about how the Starks, we have no examples of like drunk Lord Starks. Probably have been some, but we haven't heard of that. Whereas we do have some examples of that amongst the gardeners and Tyrells. To be fair, when you're that rich and powerful and there's just so much food around, <laughs> there's a, a little more temptation when you're living in Highgarden. I would probably drink more wine if I lived at High Garden than if I lived at, well,
1: Also, when there's such abundance, Allure can screw things up for a generation and everyone's no one's starving. Yeah. yeah, That's
0: true. Winterfell is walking a little more of a tightrope walk with winter. They've always got to be pretty much always have to be thinking about winter, whereas Highgarden. They shipped all that food to King's Landing. Most of it just came straight from Highgarden. Like they just had that. (laughs) You know, like geez. (laughs) That's a lot of food. Yeah. It also create situations where they sort of have like hostages almost. You send your best and brightest to Highgarden to train there and become the best, but that's where they're located during that phase. So if you have designs on usurping or moving up, well, keep in mind your your son or your son and daughter or whoever is page or a squire at Highgarden, and that certainly stands in your way, kind of a functional hostage. Nina points out there's a little similarity here between the, the, the new order of winged knights that's being formed right now. If that were to exist for the long term, it would be something that a lot of noble houses would, would fight over. They're like, my, we've had five sons being the, the winged knights over our heritage. Like the Darklands certainly are proud of having the most members of Kingsguard of all time. And Littlefinger sees this the same way the gardeners did, at least in some ways. He's like, yeah, let's create this new office Dale's gonna go nuts over this. They're all gonna to wanna to be a part of it. And then we're gonna have several of their sons at our side, and those will effectively be hostages. They're gonna use this as a, another lever to power.
2: But I say, I wonder is there a house that, do you think houses would brag about having the most members of the wall? That's what <laughs> Uh, in the, north maybe, ca- in the but... north, maybe? the North, if they volunteered. But I'm thinking like, like saying like you're a house of criminals. who are all <laughs> exiled up to the wall.
1: <laughs> at one time, you might have bragged about it more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's Century's true.
0: Cast. Yeah, that's so much now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're told that the Peaks had a lot of prominence at court over the years in the Gardeners. Nina says it's probably true for the Red Wines or Oak Hearts and Tarleys and Fosways as well. But the peaks were one of the more powerful ones and they were a little closer geographically so they this may have they may have had a the inside track on a lot of this but seven peak queens were told were a thing
2: how many valleys
0: <laughs> the oaken seat is a very cool thing that unfortunately no longer exists it was a living throne carved into an oak and I don't understand why I haven't seen more fan art of it. it. Sounds super cool, but I can't I can't think of it at all. I can't think of an image of this at all out there. Hmm. Maybe that's an opportunity for someone. <coughs> Michael. Michael,
2: <laughs> <laughs> There is a piece of it in World of Ice of Fire. Oh, there is? Okay, I guess yeah. I just forgot about it.
0: This throne re- represents a lot, or did represent a lot. Just like Highgarden reflects Garth Greenhand and his... The fact that his power is so deeply entrenched, literally rooted in nature and fertility and the birth of humanity. The first high king, some um, myth cycles. So this throne is like direct callback to him considering it's a living thing. It's more of a direct connection to the founder than piece of stone carbon feet would be. And this didn't last, of course. In that Dornish invasion that we referred to earlier, it was Freud. More on that in a minute. Nina has a great piece of headcanon here. We're getting into this setup for the burning of Highgarden. All those plants everywhere, consider how much flame that would be, even if even if the gods would destroy Freud. There's a house called House Bushy. One of them was Ben Bushy. We see him at Highgarden, or hear about him at Highgarden in Brienne's memory. Brienne was at Highgarden when that prank began all the ones all those knights trying to get Brienne to think they were into her and that whole thing Ben Bushy was one of the ones that started it and was one of the first to approach her if not the first and was then one of the people that she cracked in the tournament <laughs> getting her revenge she has a very clever headcanon here about this we talked about the incredible I'd call it a
2: hedge cannon.
0: Hedgecanon. oh my god you're totally right this is hedge cannon <laughs> <laughs> wow, how did I miss that one? Great one. We talked about how there must have been and is substantial upkeep on the gardens, trees, all that. There may be just one office or group dedicated to just handling the hedge maze. And that could be a minor noble house. It could be House Bushy, right? Like hedges or bushes. So I don't know. You know like, it could be like a House Cassell thing where they're the hereditary stewards of Winterfell. You know, these guys would be the hereditary stewards of the hedge maze. Makes sense. I mean, the hedge maze is massive. House Bushy is right there. They're about as close to Highgarden as House Cassell or House Serwin would be to the winter, to Winterfell. Pretty cool. A good idea, Nina, there. And the sigil of House Bushy is a green wall, which is what those hedges basically are. They're basically green walls, right? So that's some really, that's some well-supported headcanon, right? <laughs> But earlier, we talked about how it's, there's some certain concessions to defense here. We see, again, using the example of Arya and Joran being assaulted by Amory Lorch. Remember, they hold, held a hold up in that little mini castle. And when Armory told his men to attack, men were climbing those walls with bare hands because there were roots and vines. Easier for them. To, they didn't need ladders. They could just, everyone could just start climbing. And with so many people climbing at once, it's really hard to defend the walls. So think of that. If someone's attacking Highgarden, it's easy to climb up relatively to, say, Winterfell or Erie. Like, come on, that's really difficult. But on the other hand, Highgarden would not lack defenders. They would have a lot of people on those walls, so that would help make up for it. And the triple walls, even easier to climb. That's still a lot of climbing. (laughs) And maybe one of the walls is kept vine-free or something. But still, it comes back to what I was saying about this place being at least half palace or maybe maybe one third palace versus castle
1: they could get them good if on the lower sections of the wall it was sturdy wooden vines mm. but when you get higher up it's like more green weak vines so they <laughs> get to the top and suddenly it breaks and yeah they do back. that as a trap they like lead them yeah. in the climb. like yeah. oh hey climb on up yeah look how easy it is
2: <laughs> <laughs> i like that a lot that's
0: a good idea that's clever Here's another, another thing we should consider with defense is, well, if you can't storm a castle, a lot of times what you do is you starve it out. You besiege it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine doing that to this castle. That does not... Starving out Highgarden, that doesn't really compute. That sentence does not make sense. <laughs> Stannis and his men started eating boot leather when they were being starved out of Stormwell Well, and now they're doing that again in the north <laughs> as they're being starved once more. In Highgarden, they literally have food growing on the walls. <laughs> like, literally. An invader could be climbing up the walls and be like, oh, a snack. I'm going to eat this <laughs> as I'm climbing for extra conquest energy.
2: You know? I like the idea of them planting some poisonous stuff. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> yes. Poisoned peaches on the walls. There mm. yes. <laughs> Despite being far less defensible, though, it seems like the biggest factor here is just how daunting it would be. Like, who does that? Who takes on Highgard? Who has the strength for that? Like, they're so rich and powerful and fertile and have so many soldiers, like when the West and the Reach go to war, it's not one trying to take the whole thing. Like, I don't know of a Lannister King ever reaching Highgarden or even wanting to. When a Lannister King invades, they're trying to carve off part of the Reach to make it the West. So it's a border territory, not the center, right? (laughs) That's not really feasible. I mean... That's the bottom line. Is that Or Garden, is it? Or is it? That's the bottom <laughs> line. Highgarden, at least history, tells them that very few are even going to try. Their best defense is just who they are and just the mountain. It isn't a literal mountain, but the mountain you'd have to climb that you begin to conquer it and then hold it afterwards? Yeah, I don't think so. So while they have all this luxury that gets in the way of defense, defense from what? <laughs> right. Like, in reality, they're not, they're very unlikely to have anything to defend against unless we cast our eyes towards the current story. But even that, what are they defending? They're not going to, that's not any good against the dragon. Right. <laughs> There's means around that. And Nina says this is part of the point. They keep it that way because it also expresses that confidence. They're like, look, we're the center. Who attacks the center? We're the heart of the reach. Who attacks the heart? Who can take over the heart? just used examples of neighbors like the Rock at the Erie who have conquest in mind, not of Highgarden, but of Highgarden's territories. There is an enemy that doesn't have that consideration, isn't trying to take parts of the reach for themselves. When they come through, they have an entirely different attitude and they have entirely different goals. That's the Dornish. Highgarden, unlike Casterly Rock or the Erie cannot claim to have never been taken by an enemy army. Even though it's got all this defense, both indirect and direct, it has been taken. At least once. And here it is. The sack of Highgarden. Under the reign of Garth X, aka Garth Greybeard, the Reach went to war with itself. He was a really weak king, no sons, and the lords who had married his daughters, Peak and Manderly, started fighting. They both thought that their the daughter they married, should be the one that became queen. Darth was also a terrible king in the first place. But at this point in history, it was worse because he was also senile. So bad king who had become senile. So really weak. Maybe perhaps the weakest king of speech that we know of. Certainly the longest running weak king. Usually weak kings don't last. But this one actually did, partly because people were ruling through him. Rule through somebody, you have incentive to keep them there, so you can keep doing that. And he lived a long time. So while the Civil War raged, the Storm King and the King of the Rock said, hmm, this reaches the war with itself, you say. Well, this is the perfect time for us to carve off territories for our kingdoms, which they did. Then two Darnish Kings were like, hmm, plunder, revenge, blood. Yes, our enemies. One of them besieged Old Town. You don't actually hear what happened. The other sacked Highgarden. Wow, they actually sacked it. Very thorough sacking. We don't know when this happened, but it was probably very long ago, thousands of years. Because this was Garth the Tenth, and Garth the ninth, son, Merle first, was the first Gardener King to worship the Seven. So that's a long time ago. I mean, not, it's possible that the span between Garth the Ninth and Garth the Tenth was a long, long time, but probably not thousands of years. And even if it was, thousands of years after the first Gardener King to worship the Seven is still thousands of years, or a thousand years perhaps before. Current time. So anyway, we also don't know if all three sets of walls were in place. Certainly, if it if they weren't, this would be incentive to build another set of walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, all right, well, that wasn't enough defense, you know. Garth <laughs> was found tied to his bed and covered in filth. Dornish just put him out of his misery. They took all the wealth they could, which was, I mean, it had to be just absurd amount. And then they burned the castle. The flames were probably immense because of all the vines and trees and plants covering everything. Again, they may have not burned the godswood. Either way, it was a tragic amount of destruction and devastation. The oaken seat was chopped into little bits and burned as well. I guess it couldn't burn the way it was. It was too moist <laughs> to burn normally. Maybe
1: they just wanted to chop it. You can just imagine yeah. a bunch of guys with swords like tearing it up and they're yeah. like, all right, now let's burn it. I bet some pieces were taken as trophies.
0: Well, I probably didn't mm, burn every single yeah. scrap. If there were any artifacts or items which could be associated with Garth or his children, they may have been the kind of things they took as trophies. Iron crowns, bronze crowns maybe, just any sort of belongings to the old, the old Gardener kings of the First Men era. That would have been taken or destroyed by the fires. So 10 years of war followed. While Highgarden was just a burned husk. Uh, and the only time we ever know of this happened where it was just empty. But the high steward Osmond Tyrell. Tyrell's doing great work. He foreshadowed the role of his house later, he united the reach under the houses that were sick of Peak and Manderley tearing the place apart. They got the Peaks and Manderley's back into submission, made them bend the knee, and restored the Gardner line with a distant cousin of Garth the X, who ascended under the title or name rather, Myrn the Sixth. Nina wonders if they tried to rebuild the oaken Seat or. Carve a new one Or just said You know what There's a there's Negative implications Of an ancestral throne Given Some of the history to it Maybe they decided not to But I don't know We, we haven't heard Whether they rebuilt it or not Or they Couldn't rebuild it They said there's no There's no replacing that But we don't know If anything took, anything took place Probably some sort of seat After all in Kevin's chapter, he's like, look at that ridiculous chair Mace Tyrell brought to court. <laughs> <laughs> so we're supposed to believe he doesn't have a big chair for himself back in his, his own castle? Yeah, probably not. He probably got some really fancy chair too. But it's oaken seat-ish, the thing that Mace brings. is like, Kevin even thinks that's vaguely throne-like. It's a little too throne-ish for his taste. You know, Mace, what are you doing? When sufficient time passed, the Reach had its revenge on Dorn. But that's a story for another time. It took extraordinary circumstances for all that to be possible. For the for High Garden to fall, you had to have a weak king and civil war and invaders and successful invaders, and you know, the civil the civil war reigning for so long that it weakened things. You yeah, just a lot of different factors had to come together for that. Kind of like how the Boltons overthrew the Starks in a Song of Ice and Fire, like in most eras it would have been unthinkable because the Boltons are just too weak to do that. Like, how are you going to overthrow the Starks? Like, they're so entrenched, so loved, and so powerful. So it took many factors to enable that. Things that Roose Bolton brings up, like a boy lord being in charge, civil war happening, multiple other events, multiple alliances being possible, ability to have the Red Wedding. Lots of things that just aren't very likely to happen.
1: Especially all at once. Any one of those things by itself is unlikely and wouldn't have led to the Starks being overthrown. Yeah. But all those things happening in the same time is, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and, tech, and they probably won't, in fact, be overthrown, you know, by the end of the series. They'll probably be back. Yeah, yeah, charge, yeah. So.
1: Even still, it probably doesn't stick, you know. Which and is what happened And the didn't overthrow Highgarden, they just sacked the castles. So. Yeah,
0: they, they, they overthrew it temporarily, which is also what seems to be going to happen by the end of the Thong of Ice and Fire. Winterfell will have been temporarily. Which brings us to the point These are exceptional times. We are in the type of landscape where Highgarden could fall again. Kind of unthinkable in most eras, if not all but a few eras. This is one of those few. You've got the potential for civil war in the Reach with the so-called friends of the Reach that may side with Aegon over the Lannisters and Tyrells. You've got a house that's not as popular as the Gardeners, people who will be happy to overthrow the Tyrell. You've got, Weakened realm. You've got the potential of the others invading. You've got the d- potential of Daenerys invading all these things that
1: can weaken it. And you've got a bad Reach. leader, Ace Tyrell. <laughs> and the Reach has given up a lot of value to King's Landing, too. Like That's a lot of their true. fruit stores and et cetera. They're, they're the trying to not just and hold
0: Highgarden, they're trying to hold King's Landing. That's a great point. Yeah. So they're spread thinner in addition to lead weaker. So, a lot, in other words, a lot of the same conditions are in play now. So we'll examine more of that in the second half as we bring it into the modern era, the Tyrell era. Take a quick break here before we do that. Lady Bela says, as a gardener, Garth may may have been seen as a manifestation of the smith. Okay, yeah, that's a little true. There's a little bit of the father, but there's also a little of the smith because he's the growth and the industriousness
1: fused with nature. It's it's sort of a different element, but the same role.
0: Yeah, because they do nature smithing, right? Like the oaken seed is a good example. Yeah, that's a chair, a living chair. Flippy Dippy Doo sends a crackpot theory. Planting the trees could actually mean Garth sacrificed the lives of three people, because you know, the plants are called the trees are often have singers in them, either to do the tree or to create the tree. Yes, I love it. I don't call that crackpot at all. We even talked about the possibility that a body was buried and a tree was put on top of it. That could have been a sacrifice. And then there could be further sacrifices to those hard trees to grow them afterwards. So I think that is a big yes. Two thumbs up on that theory. Okay, tonight on Twitch it is Sunday night. So if you're catching this later, I would recommend to you that you check out Ashaya, who's going to play some what is it, SF6.
2: Yes, that's Street Fighter Six mm-hmm. open beta.
0: Street Fighter Six in beta. It is
2: yeah, in open beta just this weekend. It ends tomorrow morning. The beta ends, but then it'll be out in two weeks, and I'll be playing more. But yeah, we need to do a certain amount of streams on our Twitch channel to unlock certain features. So in addition to Aziz doing his Fridays at, at 6 p.m. Crusader King streams, I will also throw in a few fighting game streams. I'm going to be playing with Dom of Folkwise, and it should be a really fun time. I, you'll probably hear me swear a lot. It's Twitch. I'm allowed to swear. I can't say the words on our YouTube channel that I say when I stream when I play <laughs> these games. It's just it, it. gonna. Darn it. That's that's not what it's gonna be, shot. It's gonna be. It's gonna. Seven be, hells. Seven hells. <laughs> no, she, when she gets
0: really mean, she says eight hells. She
2: increases <laughs> eight the hell. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Oh, and we got our first super chat from Davy Matt. Thanks, Davey. If you have any comments, feel free to add them, and we'll, we'll grab them later. But if you just wanted to say.
0: Hello, that's nice too. Appreciate so, also you. a shout out to our good friend and patron supporter, Jordan Reynolds, aka a long expected soundscape. And in the he,
2: chat right now, he's in that?
0: the chat right now. Excellent. Okay. Well, just here's helped
2: his... me with an audio thing. Oh, well, fact. thanks for that, Jordan. Very helpful.
0: Jordan has been working on an audio experience for you to put on while you read the Lord of the Rings books. He has been working on his project, A Long Expected Soundscape, for the last year, and the time has come. The Fellowship Collection is available now to purchase with The Two Towers and Return of the King releases following later this year. He has written an original score, designed sound effects, recorded ambient environment, sounds of nature, and put it all together for you to experience in individually designed tracks for each chapter. So let's break that down really quickly. Average chapter length in Fellowship, if you go by audiobook, is an hour long. That means in this Fellowship Collection, you get 10 hours of original music. You can use it for other things too, like playing D&D or just reading other books or working. I've listened to it myself. I wrote not this episode while listening to it two or three weeks ago. I forget which one, but one of the recent episodes. Go to jordanreynolds.com slash shop today to purchase a long-expected soundscape and use the code HOW25 to get 25% off. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-N-N-E-L-L-S two N's and two L's in Reynolds.
2: There's also a link in the live stream chat. If you're watching, you can just click that link.
0: Yeah, so he just released the Two Towers yesterday, apparently. So that's really great timing. And the soundscape is actually going up in time. So that he, he's already expanded it since he, he sent us that thing to read. So it's actually a little longer now. <laughs> so anyway, that's pretty cool y'all look into that. He's obviously been helpful to us and his, his project here is very worth looking into. I can vouch for it myself. Okay, moving on to the Targaryen era. Like I said, that burning of Highgarden was probably a long, long time ago, thousands of years. So it had plenty of time to regrow literally and rebuild the parts that couldn't regrow naturally. And we're really not sure how much time passed between that and the Conquest. But as, as usual, the time period just before the Conquest is not super well documented. There's a lot of... We do, we, we've worked on that before. We have a series of episodes on that for the North, and eventually we'll probably do the, the other regions. But yeah, George left some of that kind of open, I think, to keep the past a little distant or to leave it open for future development.
1: It also makes sense that a, a big change like that would be... More well documented than just the random ongoings of regular times yeah, that led up to it. And there's more documentation on the era is like to be lost in a time of war.
0: Yeah. It was probably when the Dornish burned all that, there were probably some records lost, even if they res- preserved the gods would. Dornish they-
2: would never.
3: <laughs> 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 Shush.
0: Okay, never mind. Moving on. Yeah. I'll burn you too. <laughs> Nine hells? <laughs> Nine hells. <laughs> Speaking of, the Field of Fire is our next topic here. <laughs> Saw the complete extinction of House Gardener and the death of the Ninth. Well, by complete extinction, we should say complete extinction of all the males. More on that in a second. Before he could escape back to Castry Rock, the Lannister King of the West was captured and he bent the knee to Aegon, which is why he's not called King Lauren in this Quote.
2: Lord Loren's Bannerman followed his example, and so too did many lords of the Reach, those who had survived the dragon fire. Yet the conquest of the West remained incomplete, so King Aegon parted from his sisters and marched at once for Highgarden, hoping to secure its surrender before some other claimant could seize it for his own. He found the castle in the hands of its steward, Harlan Tyrell, whose forebears had served the gardeners for centuries. Tyrell yielded up the keys to the castle without a fight and pledged his support to the conquering king. In reward, Aegon granted him Highgarden and all its domains, naming him Warden of the South and Lord Paramount of the Mander and giving him dominion over all House Gardeners' former vassals.
0: So there would have been Highgarden, I mean, Gardener women princesses that lived, but they were all displaced by Aegon's decree making the Tyrells the new High Lords. So that would have certainly was part of his thinking to keep someone from marrying Gardener princesses and trying to restore that line or claiming High Garden through that. What a rise though. You don't normally go from High Steward to High Lord of the Reach. I mean, that is not the normal path to power. (laughs) Usually High Steward is the highest you go. It seems like it should be more of a path to power, though, honestly. Uh, it, you, yeah. And you'll, I can see why you're, why you're saying that, because one of the reasons it was a shrewd choice by Aegon is that this is the house that's been running things. Like, yes, the gardeners have been issuing decisions and making the tough choices, but the day to day operation has been the Tyrells for thousands of years. They're bound to be really good at it, right? So that's who he put in charge. That's what he needed. He's like, yeah, keep this place functioning, keep churning out the food the taxes, the soldiers when I need them. Keep doing that. If I place it in charge Just of someone stability,
1: else. Yeah. Et cetera. It, like oh, the, the other usual options are the firstborn male. What the... Get out of here with <laughs> that. Yeah. Or yeah. someone fought better. Someone was more violent. Why are those the things? How about the person who's effectively, productively running things? That seems like the what should be the more common appropriate choice for leader. But the
0: the cleverness of that Cho- of this choice goes beyond that because House Tyrell would be motivated to stay loyal to the people that put them in charge because the Reach didn't like the choice. The Reach is like, oh, you put the Tyrell, you put the stewards in charge? What? They hated that. So it turned their anger against the Tyrells not against Aegon. And the Tyrells know that. So the Tyrells are like, well, we have to stay loyal to Aegon so he'll back us up in case the Reach tries to take us out and knock us down. Well, as long as, as, long as the dragons are behind us, that's going to be really hard for them to do. They may not even try.
2: You know, so it's, these- a, it's a
0: two-way street there.
2: Get knocked down. Get up again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Never going to keep the Tyrells down. (laughs) Nina points out a a somewhat straightforward, real-world comparison for the Tyrells. The House of Stuart in Scotland literally became the high stewards of Scotland. Stuart became the stewards. Yes, that's right. Good punning there. History.
2: <laughs> you thought of a different Scott. I don't know if this is a good talk. I don't know if you have a part in the document, but you talked about some other Scotland comparisons for High Garden, didn't you, John?
1: Yeah, I don't think we worked it into the document, I but several times I've thought it might be a good moment to bring up. But there is castle in Scotland called Dunrobin, which, first of all, just it just looks a lot like High Garden. Look I don't know that. how able you are to get the image up it, there. They're on, there now, yeah. they're on right now. it's like white walls (laughs) with a hedge maze. And I think it has two outside walls, not three. But it's just very, very similar. So much so, I can't help but suspect that Martin might have had it in mind. Yeah. Physically, at least. It's got greenery on the walls and everything. Yeah, Yeah. that's
2: Castle Dunrobin in Scotland. So, yeah.
1: And it's it's mazes. I think it was built farther, uh, 1400-ish. But they put the mazes in around 1800, inspired by the French. And I was already kind of thinking that there are these parallels to like the Reach and France. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it, nothing's exact or perfect, but there's a lot of parallels between the Reach in general in France. And I was thinking that, that High Guard maybe is kind of like Versailles and Old Town is kind of like Paris. Mm, uh, um, yeah. And, and uh, on top of that, there's a, a, some real Game of Thrones-esque stories in this castle. At one point, it was, there were a lot of different claimants, right? So, you know, the, <laughs> a common thread. And one of them, Alexander, had taken the the castle. And the Brooks, or, you know, I forgot who it was, but took it back from him and put his head on a spike on the castle tower. So then his son comes back to try to retake the castle and is killed in the gardens on the way up trying to assault. So (laughs) some amount of effectiveness by the hedge mage there as a defense. But I thought (laughs) the, the physical appearance and some some of the stories behind it were very Game of Thrones esque, and, and it adds a little bit to the French parallels of so the, the cities that it might represent. I like it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think those are great comparisons. I, I certainly am not aware of any better real world comparisons. And we know George has been to, to Hadrian's Wall. That was his inspiration for The Wall. And one of the other Manderly castles, one of the Manderly castles, is, is also rooted in that history in that area. So, yeah, why not? Maybe he saw this one too or has at least seen pictures of it. So Aegon, he wasn't trying to kill everyone at the Field of Fire. He was just trying to wipe out the gardens, probably. He, that may have been very highly targeted. He may have been like, all right, Valerian, see those hands on the banners? Make sure we wipe out all those guys. The rest, we want to leave because we want them to be our soldiers afterwards. We just want to wipe out their leaders only. So I feel like this was not an accident, not a coincidence. And normally, if we return to the Field of Fire for a minute, normally... You are trying to, when you're, especially when you're a conqueror, you're not trying to wipe out all the enemy soldiers. You're trying to wipe out as few as possible. You're trying to beat the army, maintain as many of those men as possible so you can make them yours. You t- he wanted to turn around and take those men, beat them, and add them to his army.
1: He didn't want to slaughter them. Or even if you don't necessarily immediately add them to the army, you still want them to go back and work the fields. right? Every, what good yeah. is this land you take if no one is farming it or whatever? So.
0: Every single one of those soldiers lined up against Aegon and his sisters as a potential taxpayer. Right? Yeah. Productive peasant. Why do they want to kill that? They want to, they want to rule that. So, Shauna, you you pointed out only like 5,000 of the 45,000 men, which is a lot of people, but 40,000 survived. That's most of them. Overwhelmingly, even though it was a-, a
1: 90% about. Yeah, even a, a
0: huge beatdown of a battle. But-, but Yeah, that was considered survived. like this
1: devastating massacre, right? Yeah.
3: <laughs> 10% but,
0: uh, of the people. But a real massacre, or maybe not a massacre, but a real loss of men happened when- Aegon ordered the Reach armies and his other armies into Dorne. And Harlan Tyrell, this very steward who surrendered to Aegon and became High Lord, led that army into Dorne. They went to the Hellholt and then they set out across the sands and vanished. The whole army. That's way 100%. more devastating. Yeah, that's uh. way more devastating than the Field of Fire. So when Aegon lost Dorne, right, he, it, it kind of like... There on the first, they submitted, and then they immediately broke free as soon as Aegon went back home and rebelled. That's basically what happened here. And Aegon was mad. They they murdered his counselors. They murdered his you know a lot of his men. He goes to Theo Tyrell, the new lord, the son of Harlan. He's like, all right, let's raise another army and go back in there. And he's like, we don't have another army. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> literally the whole army vanished. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> Aegon is like. Okay, he accepted that. And that's when they instead decided just to go burn the castles one by one (laughs) instead of enduring instead of taking an army there, which also didn't really work. But, you know, back to Lord Harlan, you know, his death may have emboldened the Tyrells. Oh, that guy was a hero. He's the one that bent the knee to Aegon. And he's the reason why we're high lords today. They probably have a statue of him. But it's kind of funny thinking about it. Like, what else would he have done? Not only Aegon shows up at his doorstep to say to demand his surrender, but Valerian was there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you kind of give up when you see that. I mean, the whole the gardeners were wiped out by that dragon. <laughs> the North bent the knee. They had an army and they bent the knee. Harlan Tyrell standing there is like, I don't have an army. Or you beat our army already. Like, yeah, of course he's gonna surrender. What else is he gonna do? <laughs> I would think they were so grateful for the situation, but I'm not sure that they look at Harlan as some sort of hero. And they look at him probably, you know, as an important figure, but
1: eh, I don't know. We don't hear him mentioned much. <laughs> if he had had some great victory in Dorne instead of the army vanishing, then he might oh, be yeah. one of the greatest of ever. That's but a good point. Dead. Yeah, a Good point.
0: So Theo focused on consolidating control over Highgarden, and he hired, he brought in a bunch of Septons and Maesters to... One by one, squash everyone else's claim to Highgard. Went through them one by one legally and, and kind of did what had to be done with documentation and all this other stuff to stop any of that before it even got started. It's so a really secured Tyrell rule there. So, in, in some ways, Theo is more important for Tyrell continu- continuing their hold over Highgarden than, than Harlan was. It remained competently run, as far as we know, for most of the rest of Targaryen era. We're going to have a few examples here, but it's still coveted by others. Even with Theo trying to lock all that down with documentation and quashing other people's claims to Highgarden, it's still coveted. Here's Olena explaining that to Sansa.
2: You Starks were kings once, the Arryns and the Lannisters as well, and even the Baratheons through the female line. But the Tyrells were no more than stewards until Aegon the Dragon came along and cooked the rightful king of the Reach on the Field of Fire. If truth be told, even our claim to Highgarden is a bit dodgy. Just as those dreadful Florents are always whining. What does it matter, you ask? And of course it doesn't, except to oafs like my son. <laughs>
0: By the way, that is the only use of the word dodgy in all of oh, the books. Really? <laughs> I
2: thought
0: you were going to say the only word, use of the word oaf. She she, she, she says that. oaf other times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe. But yeah, do, there's the word dodge appears, but not dodgy. Oh. Yeah.
2: That's interesting. Now Did Olena's, you look that up? What's that? Did you just see that word and you were like, huh? Oh, I looked what it up, yeah. I almost
0: I made up. that the trivia question. It's like, what word does Elena use that no one else Yeah, that's not really, that's too, too, even for, a yeah. tough question that's too obscure.
3: Like we can recognize that
0: one word. Even, but I thought maybe because it's in this episode, people would hear it and be like, oh, maybe that's the word. Is it dodgy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no. Nah, people aren't thinking about the trivia question at the, until I brought it up again, probably. This is deep into the episode. Like, we're like over an hour and a half in here. So yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, there was a trivia question.
2: I can't, I'll tell you, I don't know if I can remember what the question was. It was which king
0: is said to have painted... The Green Mountain's Red.
2: Oh, okay, okay,
0: okay. Cool. Olena is a little removed from this history and a little less proud of it than she might be because she's not born a Tyrell. She married into Tyrell family. She's a red wine by birth. She's also downplaying the Tyrell's ancestry a little bit because high steward of that house contains a lot of power. I mean, they, given who we're talking about, like the high steward of the Starks, not that powerful. High steward of... Highgard, really powerful because they're just managing so much wealth. I mean, it's, think about all, all, everything Littlefinger was able to do with the crown's wealth, just being in charge of it. There's, it's a steward of, Heigard, of, of Winterfell just doesn't have that much wealth that he's managing. There's less opportunity for embezzlement and borrowing money to invest it and paying it back with the proceeds, but keeping the, that business, which is something Littlefinger does. He'll Borrow money from the crown, start a business, then pay the crown back or not. Pay it back mm-hmm. gradually and keep that business for himself. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, the crown broke even, sort of, but I earned, a, got a whole new business out of it. So yeah, and the Tyrells had lots of opportunities for that. Some of the, and over such a large span, there would have been some of them who capitalized quite a bit on their position, even if some other ones didn't. So that's another factor too in their prestige or lack thereof is that the Tyrells were never kings, right? Like the Starks and Aaron's and Lannisters and Baratheons and these others. And also, they're not as pure-blooded. Of course, this is, to us, it's a ridiculous thing. But given that the Tyrells began as an Andal house, it's not, you know, they don't... Yes, they're married into the Gardner bloodlines now, but they can't trace their Tyrell male-line descent to that. So they'd be looked on as maybe half-reachmen or... Yeah, it's something to lower their prestige in the eyes of the really old blood. But that's, again, part of the point from Aegon's perspective. He's like, if he appointed a former royal house, then that they could use that prestige to bring men to their cause. But the Tyrells don't have what used to be kings as a, as a rallying cry. And in fact, the fact that they aren't is a burden, a burden that works to Aegon's favor because the Reach is more distracted by that than they are coming after
1: him. So, yeah, very important. Yeah, the, the idea that they would be half-Reach men after I'm doing the math right in my head real quick. After 5 generations, <laughs> you know, if an Andal married an, a first man, yeah. And then went 5 generations of marrying more first men, at that point they're 97%. <laughs> and we've been
0: like thousands mm-hmm.
1: of years. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so like
0: these Tyrells are yeah, it's all the same blood at this point. <laughs> we also wonder who else has physical connections to Highgarden like Oakheart and Florent already had their own seats that were separate. You wouldn't want to Bump them up to Highgarden. So it's really, if you think about the choices Aegon had, yeah there aren't as many. So the Gardener's rule for thousands of years and they've died out. The Tyrells will never going to be able to drum up the support of a house that ancient, given how Westeroth's culture works, which also plays into Aegon's hands. House Tyrell has to stay loyal as well because if they lose the support of the throne, the Reach will probably turn on them. That's a lot of stuff. So it's a bit of a tightrope walk, but on the other hand, they're lords of Highgarden. If it's a tightrope walk, There's plenty of nets to catch them. As you said, Sean, they can afford to make mistakes because they have so much cushion given their massive wealth, their fertility, their manpower, and their ability to regrow all that if it loses. Like, yeah, they lose an army. Well, they can't put another one in the field right away, but pretty quickly they can, you know? Aegon was known to have made a lot of royal progresses during his long reign. as partly to keep the realm, partly to stop even the notion of rebellion before it started. Bringing Balerion around wherever he went has a good way of pacifying people. I'm like, oh yeah, if we rebel, we got to face that. Okay, that's a good reminder, Aegon. (laughs) And when Aegon started to get older and his his health declined a bit, his heir Aenys started making those progresses instead. And in fact, Aenys was at Highgarden when Aegon the Conqueror died. And he flew off to get anointed and then came back. (laughs) He went back to Highgarden to accept their submission and all that. How old about, do we know how old Aenys was at that time? He was into his thirties already. He was three when, or he might have only been twenty nine. He was around. He was around thirty or thirty one. Because he was three when when his mother died, and she died, I think, in ten. He gone and died in thirty six. So twenty six years later, he'd be twenty nine.
2: Wow, my age.
0: <laughs> A we have so and much Anis. in common. <laughs> <laughs> you both love culture and music, and you're not big on fighting. And yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Everybody I'm liked Annie's like. Yeah. Not that not the warrior types didn't like him, but everyone else liked him. So yeah, there you go. That fits you. Everybody, everybody likes Achea.
2: Really important time to, to emphasize the anus part. of the, Not anus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, when we're love comparing love him to, to you. He's anus. But if he's anyone else, he's anus. That's
3: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Highgarden can handle a dragon or two. His guests more easily than probably any other castle. Like Dragons eat a lot, but they got a lot of food there. They can certainly afford that bill, unlike other castles, maybe not so easily. A number of dragons have been there over the years. Valerian's been there, as we've seen several times. Dreamfire was there. Meleese was there, the Red Queen. Vermithor was there. Other dragons as well, too. Let's go to the time of Jaharis. Here's a fun moment that we can relate to you
1: via quote. The faith will look askance at any king who thinks to rule without a septum by his side, he announced. Harris had a ready answer.
2: We shall have no lack of septons. Septon Oswick and Septa Isabel will remain with us. And there is a young man coming from Highgarden to see to our library. His name is Barth.
0: Yeah, Septon Barth came from Highgarden. Yeah, Yeah. that's an obscure little detail. A lot of y'all probably forgot I did when I was reading. I was like, oh yeah, Septon Barth kind of came up. His his come up was in the libraries of Highgarden. That's where he got noticed for his abilities. Frankly, though, that's a good place to get noticed. You know, you want to be in the center of things. Highgarden's famed for its culture and learning. Well, good spot to be. Barth. Do you think
2: Barth was a, a reachman or just happened to be placed at Highgarden?
1: I think he was a reachman. Yeah, yeah. okay. There's evidence to that Barth, Garth, like it's yeah, probably yeah, yeah, a, Barth, a common Barth. name for that area. Oh,
2: yeah. That's a great yeah. Point. Yes, yes, the R. Darth. Darth. <laughs> yeah. We all know Darth Tyrell.
0: All the all, all the Sith come from the reach. Yeah. Karth, mm-hmm.
2: you know. Carth. Of course.
0: Karth <laughs> Vader. Karth uh, <laughs> Vader. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Garth uh, Vader. Yeah, someone make us a Darth Vader just. Vines and green, greenery all over him. That yeah, I'd like, like to see Garth, that's, that's yeah, Garth cool Vader. That's a pretty cool
2: mashup. I would like to see that. Vader. I would also like to see Barth
0: Vader, though, as well. Yes, Barth <laughs> Vader, <laughs> famed for his learning instead of his very short temper. <laughs> um. Yes. This says really good things about High Gardens libraries, which other people say good things about High Gardens libraries and the quality of learning there, etc. But the f- fact that Barth came from there just is a big feather in their cap. Nina suggests maybe he benefited from the scholarship promoted by Theo Tyrell, the one who arranged that Council of Septons and Maesters to dismiss all those claims to Highgarden in order to solidify Tyrell rule there. Barth wouldn't have been alive during that, during Theo Tyrell's era, because, actually, he could have been. It's possible, but I don't think so. But it would have been not long after his time. So it would have been pretty short. So Theo's time would have been pretty recent from when Barth was there. So whatever changes he made, bringing all these septons and maesters in, maybe he was like an apprentice or an understudy, or lack for lack of a better word. I don't know what junior septons are called. <laughs> Someone, a devotee that was working under some older septon and came to Highgarden along with that. Barth was lowborn, so maybe not. But still, he made his way up somehow. During the reign of Jeharis, they had the tourney of the Field of Roses, which is the greatest tourney seen in a generation. And we know High Gardens has a long tradition of tournaments, part of the Order of the Green Hand, and part of their tradition of encouraging the best and the brightest to show off for High Garden, to be worthy, and to be part of that greater heart of chivalry. But this would have possibly been the first time Tyrell's hosted this it would have been the gardeners and off and on. So this would have been the first time they proceeded over those proceedings. And that would have probably been a pretty big deal. They would have maybe wanted to really go all out. And I don't want to re- relate them to Tywin too much, but Tywin spends his money aggressively to show the prestige and power of his house. And I feel like if you're if, if you're ever going to do that, it would be a time like this when your house is newly in power you want to remind people that you're not weak. They say, we, we are newly empowered. It doesn't mean we're weak. We, that new power is quite stout. Moving on to the Dance of the Dragons, the Tyrell were in a conundrum, wanting to support the dragons as they always had, given this loyalty to Aegon, but time had passed. But which one is the right one to support? Who is the correct dragon side to follow? So they used the excuse that they had a boy lord and would remain neutral. And this is, of course, important because the high towers are green. So you really would expect the Tyrells to be on the green side. And the High Towers were kind of expecting their liege lords to back them, but they had no choice but to accept that the Tyrells were going to remain neutral. Because what did we say in the first part of the episode? You're constantly sending your children to Highgarden when you're a lesser vassal, even if you're a really powerful house, because that's the way to get closer to power, and because they kind of demand it of you, and because you get better training there. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. And that was exactly what happened here. The Lord Hightower of the era, which it's different TV versus show, which Lord Hightower it was. It doesn't really matter for our purposes here. His younger brother, Garmin, was at Highgarden during the dance, before the dance broke out and during the dance as a page. So they basically had a Garden. They basically had a Hightower hostage at Highgarden. So what are you going to do? They're like, you should fight for us. Nope okay then, (laughs) darn it, they can't, yeah, they're just like, all right, Ah, they can't do anything. Moving past the dance to the era of the young dragon, again, since it's an invasion of Dorne and Highgarden's got such manpower and their loyalty to the crown is famous and important to holding on to their own power, they were very likely heavily involved with making this campaign happen. It was Lord Lionel Tyrell put in charge of Dorne afterwards, remember? So he was probably, if not the most crucial supporter, one of the most crucial supporters in terms of supplying manpower and money and weapons and all that for this invasion. But this guy, if you ever forget Lionel Tyrell, he was the scorpion bed guy. (laughs) So he obviously met his end in Dorne as well. A nastier end, maybe, Then dying in the desert of I guess that's nastier yeah I think the scorpion thing will be over quicker that's poison yeah I think I'd rather die that way let's not linger on that though
2: <laughs> on screen.
0: there it is the famous scorpion moment oh NSFW <sighs> picture there
2: huh <laughs> Jeff dead, dead Jeff. that was yes. that was Brendan B fish dead yeah uh, on that bed
0: dead and naked <laughs> <laughs> So another Lord of Highgarden killed in Dorne, another Tyrell Lord killed in Dorne, and of course, Daron himself <laughs> was, was dead a couple years later as well. That didn't go very well. Skipping ahead to the next Daron, which is, what, 27 years later? No, 24 years later. Daron, Daron the Good. Nina writes, I'd be willing to bet Leo Tyrell, Leo Longthorn, was Lord of Highgarden at this time might have staged some impressive tourneys at high garden given he himself was known to be a talented and famous jouster imagine that you're a young lord of high garden the place where it's known where the most of the tournaments are thrown or it's famous for tournaments and you're good at jousting and you got all this money yeah nina's probably right here this guy was like let's throw another tournament y'all and i'm gonna enter that seems like a mm-hmm. conflict of interest but, but who's gonna tell him no who's gonna stop him right <laughs> yeah Need also wonders if Damon Blackfire ever visited Highgarden. He probably did. I mean, uh, Highgarden, the Reach was stout for, for Damon Blackfire, even though Highgarden specifically wasn't. He fought against Damon. He was one of the few Lords of the Reach to not go Blackfire, which was unusual because so much of the Reach fought for Damon, but not unusual given that this isn't like the Dance of the Dragons where it's two halves of House Targaryen. This is Targaryen versus Blackfire. So the Tyrell. Loyalty is a little more straightforward. That said, Leo was not a big help to the dragons. He mostly just stayed in the reach, and he was kind of a little Walder Frey-ish with his support. I'm going to help, but it's barely.
1: Simply not being against them is a help. Yeah,
0: considering how powerful they are, yeah. But mostly you can can tell. He's like, I'd rather, like, he's more invested in tournaments than real war. (laughs) Good. Good yeah, job. Yeah, Everyone good, else should have yeah. been also. <laughs> good, that's, that's a good thing. You're right. Dunk did visit Highgarden while he was young as a squire to Sir Arlen, of course. That's where all the places he went when young were because of Sir Arlen, because he was in Fleabottom before that and not mobile at all. But this was probably around the year 200, 201, maybe 202, based on what we know about where he was. And if we go back too much farther than that, he's too young right? Because he's 17 or 16-ish at the beginning of in the year 209. Guessing he was 10, 12-ish around when he went to Highgarden. In the Song of Ice and Fire era, Sam has been there, of course. I mean, he was a vassal, and for a while, the heir to Horn Hill, which is a vassal of Highgarden and not super far away.
1: Hey, Horn Hill is it's not closest, one of the closest castles to Highgarden, Certainly right? Certainly a major
0: castle, yeah, yeah, there's probably yeah. some lesser ones in the way that don't, some of them don't even make the map, but yeah, absolutely, Horn Hill's a significant one, and you're right, not very far. And, and Nina says specifically Lord Randall would bend the knee to Lord Tyrell, and Sam would go. Sam's memory is evidence that Tyrells did not forget that they still do this, they still have vassals bending the knee to the high lord you don't just bend the knee to the king you still you offer fealty to your high lord as well so the the ancient traditions still there established by the gardeners still happening at high garden even, even though it's under a different house arianne wanted to go to high garden to meet willis <laughs> but doran said no because you know he had his whole master plan in play sansa of course wanted to go as well to marry willis <laughs> for, you know but the Lannisters nixed that. So. Lots of nixing of Highgarden trips going on here.
2: Will not. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Will not us, yes. Yeah, no. Will? Your last Willis and Testament. Renly this- and Loris flee King's Landing together after Ned refuses Renly's offer of help during the potential coup. Renly then weds Marjorie at Highgarden and marches for Bitterbridge, then Storm's End. Of course, that's again where the cruel prank against Brienne was happening at the same time as all this. Peach was offered to Stannis by Renly in that famous scene. The peach, of course, came from Highgarden. Renly specifically points that out. It uses a symbol in a somewhat similar manner to Robert describing the bounty of the Reach to Ned. Renly throws it in Stannis' face. This represents my allies. I have this. You know, all the fertility and power of the Reach is behind me. Here's that quote. It's such a
1: fun moment. Renly's hand slid inside his cloak. Stannis saw and reached at once for the hilt of his sword, but before he could draw steel, his brother produced a peach. Would you like one, brother? Friendly asked, smiling from Highgarden. You've never tasted anything so sweet, I promise you. Took a bite. Juice ran from the corner of his mouth.
0: That, that embellishment by George, juice running from the corner of his mouth, is so intentional, like just this peach. It's a really important peach, y'all. What
2: did I say? A peach I'm- from the reach. I very purposefully gave Sean this quote because I knew I could not keep it together if I tried <laughs> to read that out loud. And then I still broke the high art, so who knows? I, I mean, that. Right but no, the whole time you're reading it, I'm like, how did you do that, Sean? You were so serious.
0: <laughs> so there's a lot of ways that the power of Highgarden is shown, symbolically through fruit and the juice running down Renly's cheek. But also when Catelyn is a guest of Renly to negotiate with him after Rob is named King. Now, she, Catelyn is very high-born. She's no stranger to being treated well, right? It's what she's used to. But even she is blown away by how fancy Renly's pavilion and how upscale the accommodations are, despite, or in part because of, it's on campaign. Like, they're marching to war, and it's, they're still, like, fully decked out in all the finery, and have all the luxuries that you wouldn't expect to have on campaign. But that's part of the point. They're like, just like High Garden, just taunts would be attackers with its openness, being like, look, you couldn't take us anyway. Like, yeah, we're not, we're so powerful. We don't have to focus on defense because we're so strong. This is really being reflected here as well. We're so wealthy and powerful. We don't have to treat this like a war. <laughs> we can take our time holding tournaments, just expressing our power, marching slowly up the King's Road. While also letting the other people fight each other. So it's, it's not all about that.
1: Imagine, though, if they had treated it like a war with all that they power. Would like, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> sure, you can rest on your lures, but it doesn't mean you should rest on your laurels. Yep. Yep. I mean, to be fair, they
0: couldn't have possibly seen the shadow coming. But other, so the other things could have gone wrong. It's not like this was the one thing that could go wrong. It's like, oh, we got so unlucky. The only thing that could have gone wrong there was. <laughs> Here's a two-liner quote that just further explains what we're saying here.
1: This was Caitlin talking about the yeah. friendly camp.
0: Looking at how much what she has presented to her.
1: The food there was plenty, or had not touched the fabled bounty of Highgarden. The
0: fabled bounty of Highgarden. It's so bountiful, it's expressed as if it's unreal, as a fable, but they believe in it. <laughs> From there. That quote turns into one of George's famous food descriptions. I decided not to just have the whole thing, but it's just a list of food. Like, Catelyn goes about to list all the foods. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If we were to read that, we'd all get hungry because it sounds pretty good. (laughs) Meanwhile, compare that to when Asha gets back to the Iron Islands. The steward of Harlaw, which is the richest Iron Islands house, is a singularly ancient woman named Three-Tooth, who tells Asha the kitchens are closed? <laughs> Asha. Asha Greyjoy is told the kitchens are closed. Well, Asha grabs her ear and's like, no, they're not. And she's, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they do that, but it goes to show like this is, they don't have, I, I, the kitchens at Highgarden probably never shut down.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a different scale. It's just a different world that they live in. Here. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's just, it's really something else. After Renly is dead, There's a lot of confusion, right? Different elements of Renly's army go different places, different lords and ladies do different things. They're not sure who they're going to follow now. And a lot of that chaos happens at Bitterbridge. Here's the SSM, the Sospake Martin, George's direct quote about what happened, which is going to relate to our topic today.
2: It would be hugely overstating to say there was a battle, but there was definitely much confusion and conflict when word reached them of Renly's death. At that point, And in the days that followed, as rival envoys began to arrive, Renly's foot ceased to be a hole and became more a gathering of feudal levies, each of which had to make its own decision as to what to do now. Presume some fighting. Presume that a lot of people just decided this might be a swell time to go home. (laughs) But most of them ultimately wound up with the Tyrell Lannister alliance. Crane and Florent are presently captives at Highgarden. By the way,
0: Crane and Florent are Parman Crane and Aaron Florent. Parman Crane was, if I recall correctly, one of Renly's Rainbow Knights, and the Cranes are important regardless. The Florents are even more important. Nina says Aaron Florent, being a captive at Highgarden, may end up saving his life and may even put him in line to inherit Brightwater Keep, which is the Florent seat of power. Right now, Rightwater Keep has been granted to Garland Tyrell, Willis's younger brother, Loras's older brother, but he doesn't, he's not in possession of it. He's, he was building an army to go take it and make it his when Euron attacked the shields. So he's like, oops, that's a higher priority. Let's gather even more men because it's going to be harder to take the shields back, especially because they have to take ship to get there. So that's what he's doing right now. Garland's doing that. So Garland may not survive the series. And if that's the case, then the Florence might get restored to their ancestral seat. And this one guy sitting in, in prison because ever since the death of Renly might be the one that ends up on top. Sort of like what Varys might have been, been planning for Tyrek Lannister, who vanished during the riots, assuming Tyrek is even with Varys. But that is that is a similar, that theory fits here for what, they might have wanted to stash an heir for their own purposes. Well, this isn't that, but it could work out the same way in essence. Alicane Florent is in Old Town. He's the other major Florent around because Axel Florent's at the Wall <laughs> with Stannis' army. So Nina says, all hail Lord Aaron. It could be, <laughs> it could be him.
3: Uh-huh.
0: This also brings us back to the food supply thing, the riots again with, I just mentioned Tyrick Lannister. So that a lot of factors are bringing us back to that little story. But let's not forget it was the Tyrells that choked off the food supply in the first place. <laughs> they choked off that food supply, and then they stopped doing that when Rendley died, and then brought food, and everybody saw them as heroes because people didn't know that it was them who caused the starvation in the first place. But dang, that's a lot of food. Like, they just stored that food at Highgarden and brought it up. Some of it might have been ordered from their vassals, but like, the food was just coming straight up the Rose Road from Highgarden. Just unbelievable amounts of food, really. Also in Clash of Kings, after Renly's death, as well, Littlefinger travels there to negotiate the marriage of Joffrey and Marjorie, right? And he later tells Sansa, Littlefinger does, how he bribed the Highgarden musicians to sing of the Kingsguard in order to fire up Loras about the idea because they were going to try to push him into that and they wanted to lay some groundwork about their bravery. Consider that Sansa, again, I keep using the Starks as an example because we know more about them than any other house. Sansa. There's that anecdote where she loves music, but singers rarely come to Winterfell. Singers rarely come to Winterfell, but at Highgarden, they've got a whole freaking batch of musicians on staff at all times that Littlefinger can bribe to sing what he wants. Ah. <laughs> <This is> the, <laughs> the disparity here is a lot larger than I think a lot of y'all may have realized. and certainly bigger than I realized. Dig deeper into it at every different angle that we have here from staff, from the land from the politics just it's quite different
1: it's a little bit of a tangent but i I think about this a lot how much we take for granted music these days that like not like a thousand years ago but even a hundred years ago even the wealthiest people in the world music was a special treat it was not it's just literally any song ever existed is literally at our fingertips now we just instantly hear it anytime we want but 100 years ago, the richest people in the world would still have to coordinate and figure out how to hear a song and be a special event.
0: You know? Coordinate. <laughs> I like that. Good pun, Sean. <laughs> Chord. Get it? Music? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're really just stuck with singing. That's the only, you know, it's, and maybe percussion, you know, random tapping of things on other things. And maybe you make a flute or something like that. I hear a the music flute. in
2: everyday life and nature. <laughs> I would have heard the song of our people every day. So I don't know about you, Sean.
0: (laughs) We can extrapolate from the fact that they have musicians, lots of them on staff, that they have other huge amounts of staff. We talk about the garden crew that must be there. Nina mentions the horses. Willis owns the best horses in the Seven Kingdoms, apparently, according to his letters to Oberyn Martell, which he then relates to Tyrion. What's the staff like? What's the upkeep? on the finest horses. You probably have the finest, what are they called? Ostlers. That's right. A guy who works with horses in the Seven Kingdoms too. They could certainly afford to pay for the fine, like you work for this lord. You're a great horse. I'm going to pay you more to come to Highgarden. What are they going to do? Say no? I doubt it. (laughs) They'll probably be like, yes, my lord. I don't want to say no because you're the high lord, but also you're paying me more and I'm going to live in a better house. Yeah, right? I mean, I get to live at Highgarden? But they're awesome library. That's what I'd be thinking about. I'd be like, I get to go to that
3: library? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the hawking, right? There's there's another example. These guys, you know, they're hawking because they do that. So who keeps the birds? Who takes care of the birds? They're not doing it themselves. Willis Tyrell's not checking in on his hawk every morning, feeding it. No, that's some servants doing that, right? But some high paid, well trained, well dressed, well groomed servant is doing that. That's the other thing, probably. They're also wearing gold and have fancy clothes, even though they're servants. These are high garden servants. And high garden servants need to look as fancy as everything else in the castle. It just wouldn't do to have them look grubby while everything else looks nice, would it? I'm trying to think like a really wealthy person.
1: (laughs) You know, that's another thing we take for granted is food. The food is just any type of food from anywhere in the world. We just have it all the time everywhere that most people from most of history spent the hours of their days toiling for food. And so, if food is plentiful in High Garden, then people have time to specialize in other things, to train and focus and learn, and you know, diversify the the, the sort of talents that exist around High Garden that are, are probably greater than around Winterfell. Right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Winterfell does have a great, uh, an awesome library, but as we saw, it wasn't well staffed because a dude just walked in there and burned it. <laughs> 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 Some random guy off the street. <laughs> who wasn't even all there mentally, like he was able to accomplish that. I don't think that would happen at Highgarden. They'd be like, wait, who are you? Weird, grubby guy. What's going on here? Uh, just very different. And I love that this is expressed fairly early on in the series. George immediately draws these comparisons and then fills them out over time. You know, it doesn't fully sink in from Robert's quote, but it does tell you a lot. Like you just got done seeing Winterfell. You saw a feast there and how it wasn't like super. It was nice, but it wasn't super fancy, right? The, the food descriptions of all the food descriptions you see throughout *A Song of Ice and Fire*. That first feast at Winterfell, it's muted, right? It isn't all. He, George slow rolls that to show you the bigger feasts at fancier locales later. Who are the people that are there? In addition to those prisoners we mentioned, Olena Tyrell is back there now. She's with Willis, so that's good for Willis. That <laughs> she's there. She's less likely. He's less likely to maybe do something dumb with her advice, you know, whispering in in his ear. Probably. I mean, it's possible she makes a mistake. It's possible she steers him wrong. But she's less likely to make a mistake than, say, Mace Tyrell, who is at King's Landing doing his business and being all proud and foolish. A certain Sir Egon Verwell is captain of the guards at Highgarden. It's not clear whether he's at Highgarden right now, though he might be with Mace Tyrell. Olena does have her guards, Eric and Ark, no relation to Cargill Knights of the Dance of the Dragons era, but they are named for those two, and they are also seven feet tall. You know,
2: who 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 else names their children, their twins, and is, you know. Let's let's name them after tragic twins <laughs> who killed each other. I'm really inspired by this tale. Like, that's
1: a great thing to
2: yeah, let's hope that, that happens uh, to yeah, them. That mother and father, <laughs>
1: adding to the already difficult nature of telling them apart. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: she, she calls them very left similar and right.
2: Names that are <laughs> terrible connotation. Yeah.
0: How staffed with soldiers is High Garden right now? The answer is not very because of that strength going to the Shields. I think they might still be at Highgarden right now, but they're getting ready to leave to go to the shields to try to retake those. So there will be, if, if they're not already over there, they will be depleted of soldiers pretty soon, which opens things up for the f- so-called friends of the Reach, the friends of Aegon VI and John Connington and Illyrio and Varus. They don't know they're friends with Illyrio and Varus, but <laughs> that's who's behind all this. And so if someone goes after the Florence, the Brightwater or because Randall Tarley wants, Randall Charlie wanted Florence for himself, the Castle Brightwater Keep for himself. He was mad that Mace gave it to his son instead of him. And he has a, a reasonable complaint. His wife is a Florence. So he feels like it's, you know, it's, it's closer to his family in that sense. So he was upset at that, which is one of the many reasons why Randall Tarley may turn on the Tyrells. And... Become part of the Aegon faction, and he would presumably want Brightwater Keep as part of his reward. He may also be a crucial leader against the Tyrells, considering he's a, a military veteran, tough, brutal leader, capable enough. So that's a strong possibility there. Another person that's at High Garden right now is Osbert Seri. He's one of the Lords of the Shields. It was his son killed by Victorian in that duel we saw where Victorian's hand gets hurt. So that was his heir that he killed. So Osbert Seri is, of course, quite upset with the Ironborn. So are all the Lords of the Shields and just all the Reach folk in general, but especially the, the Lords of the Shields. So that's that's relevant. We don't know in what way just yet, but it'll come up. So the army could be away, far away when it's needed most, either not just Highgarden being a threat, but on attacking Old Town. If they're literally on the Shield Islands when on strikes Old Town, that's
1: Perfect for Euron and terrible for them. Talk about being outmaneuvered. Even if they magically knew it happened that instant. Yeah. They still have to get on boats and sail over and then get off the boats. It'll take forever to respond to that. Yeah.
0: And re- part of what Euron did was to draw their attention away from the shield. It's like he's going to draw their attention away from the shields to take them. And then that draws their attention to the shield so he can take something else. What he did was he sent men up the Mander all the way up as far as Bitterbridge to raid and reeve to get the attention of Highgarden, who then deployed ships and river vessels and put everybody on high alert, which opened up the attack on the shield. So Highgarden is being spread thin by all these events, which is creating that confluence of events we described during the sack of Highgarden when the Dornish King was successful there. Saying, y'all, a lot of these conditions are very similar, and it doesn't even take those conditions given we have dragons. It could just be that. It could be Danny's like, nope, gotta burn ya. Or, It burns for some other reason. She doesn't have to be the one to burn it, but it's very burnable. It's very flammable, shall we say. (laughs) Maybe it's wildfire. Green nature going up in green fire. I don't know why that would happen, but eh, it's an interesting mental image. (laughs) We haven't seen it. We've we've heard a lot about it. We hear about it very frequently. People talk about it. It's the center of news in the South. In 2006, George R. Martin said, we definitely see Casterlock, and we may see Highgarden. And I got to think, since 2006, the story has expanded quite a bit. This is post A Feast for Crows quote, so only one book has come since then, but that's when a lot of that expansion happened, you know, in between while he's rewriting The Five-Year Gap into, well, something that didn't exist. And yeah, there's a lot of possibility here for going there. We might see, George did say there won't be any new POVs, but again, Danny could go there. John Connington could go there. Sam. Could go there. Sam. Yeah, it's a big one. Sam, big possibility there. And there's always a possibility of a prologue chapter there. It seem the most likely spot for one or an epilogue chapter. So even though he said he wouldn't add new multi POVs, he'll still have one offs in the prologues and maybe epilogue. He didn't, he didn't say he wouldn't do that. Now, House Tyrell is an, epi- an episode for another day. They're a whole story onto their own that's separate from High Guard in some ways, even though they're inextricably tied to it. But they no longer have the qualities cause caused Aegon the Conqueror to choose them as lords of the Reach. They no longer have the skills they had as high stewards for generations. That skill set is now in the hands of their high stewards. Ooh, I don't know who that is, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> whoever that is, it's not the Tyrell. So someone else is in charge of day-to-day affairs and maybe has been for about 300 years. So...
2: Think, maybe that maybe everything's, were, coming <laughs> everything's coming
0: up bushy Everything's coming up bushy That's the new hedge cannon That the Bushies <laughs> will Ascend to Highgarden They've got yeah. the name for it They yeah. do have the name for it I mean what does Tyrell even mean That doesn't Bushy is right on topic though yeah. So I think Willis Tyrell is not unlikely to end up as Lord before it's all done because Mace Tyrell is not doesn't seem like a survivor. He's just making all sorts of bad decisions. He's too proud. He's too arrogant. I don't know that Willis will survive either. It's possible they both die. I, I certainly figure if I, if only one of them survives, I would pick Willis pretty easily, pretty handily. I mean, I could see myself being wrong, but it seems like a safe bet of the two. And especially with Elena there giving him advice where Elena's advice was mostly not listened to by Mace, (laughs) further exacerbating his foolishness and and red flagging him for uh, (laughs) a future doom, probably. Willis in charge, I mean, he seems competent, but we don't really know that much about him. And he may be left with things in a bad spot if, if Mace's decisions cause a lot of problems for him before he's able to take charge. Not to mention Cersei, right? Cersei and Tywin have treated Highgarden very differently. Tywin understood that, you can't just make an enemy of Highgarden lightly. Like you have to kind of accept them. It's better to have them as an ally, even if they're encroaching, even if they're trying to take all these offices and grabbing power where they can. Even though there's so darn many of them, <laughs> that's why you shouldn't make an enemy of them. But Cersei doesn't see it that way. Cer- Tywin's goal was to bring them in the fold, but keep them secondary, keep them one level lower. Whereas Cersei's like, no, we're going to make enemies of them, which will probably backfire. But maybe. Cause the doom of both of their houses. he may bring both of them, bring them both down together and so she doesn't have tywin or even kevin in her way to stop that so who knows but she does have a lot of high garden bannermen around her so there is that which but they may not stay high garden bannermen if they don't stay Highgarden garden bannermen they probably won't be hers though they'll probably join Aegon. yeah Nina, by the way, does expect Sam will flee to Highgarden. She thinks that when Euron attacks Old Town and she thinks when, not if, because I agree with that. It is a when, not an if. That is a good place to go with Gilly, of course, and maybe even with Sorella along too. That would be interesting.
2: So exciting to see Willis Tyrell.
0: Yeah. So Highgarden would be the natural part of resistance to Euron. If anyone's going to take back Old Town in the short term, it would be them, and certainly be the, it would be their duty to do that. So, this is where Willis may be a valuable character to put on screen, because he's going to have a lot in common with Sam. Sam might get along with Willis in ways that he wouldn't have ever gotten along with Mace, or Loris or Leo Tyrell, who he's, you know, associated with down there at the Citadel. Willis soft-spoken, friendly, empathetic, good-natured Willis could get along with Sam. So yeah, maybe it's too much to hope for, but I think it's a really strong possibilities. Obviously, Nina believes so as well. We may get some Sam-Willis friendship. That could be really cool.
1: We'll see. It what? makes sense to me that Sam and Willis would will become good friends and then Martin kills Willis.
0: That's- <laughs> <laughs> that does make sense, yeah. And then Sam goes back to John you know, or something. What I was getting at before, before we got sidetracked with some other interesting points here is that History could repeat itself. Danny has got all kinds of egg on the Conqueror vibes coming from coming in as a bit of an outsider, bringing in a foreign army, big black dragon, having to reestablish herself. It's kind of like a second conquest. If the Tyrells are her enemies, which they probably will be, then she may promote their stewards to the place of high lords after them, and you know push The Tyrells completely aside. I don't see them all dying. There's just too darn many of them, but they could be set down a peg or just, you know, kicked out entirely, exiled or something.
1: The one knock against that is that we don't even know who their stewards are right now. Good point. That's a good point. So maybe not their stewards, but maybe some of the house. Maybe, maybe Barley's, maybe Sam, maybe, I don't know. Uh. Flippy Dippy Doo says, not mm,
0: saying I think this is the case, but just to note, the only other Barths we've heard of were Northmen.
2: I mean, Nina replied and said, I mean, there's also a Rickard Tyrell, yes. first man type name,
3: potentially. Mm-hmm.
0: That's wow. true. But that's notable. A, that's an interesting diversion because the Reach would have first man traditions and first man names and Andal names, whereas the North never got as Andalized, although they did yeah. somewhat. I mean, it's just names. They're not like, oh, that's an Andal name, you know. Over time, that distinction might lose some of its... Well, it might lose some distinction over time. Okay, folks. That is Highgarden for you. A lot to say, a lot to think about, a lot to predict. A lot still coming. Definitely curious where it's going to end up. And the fate of not only House Tyrell, but the castle itself, who's going to hold it at the end, and what about their vassals, whether Highgarden will still be a, a place of... Fertility, or whether that will be a thing of the past, whether it be a thing for them to rebuild. Part of the dream of spring might be rebuilding High Garden. The blooms returning would be an appropriate place for that rebirth to begin in the South, even while the North has its own struggles and differences. It being so far away, we'd probably, in a dream of spring, when we're seeing sort of an outro, an epilogue to the entire story, having word of or talk of High Garden would really make a lot of sense, given High Garden's doing well then the realm might do okay. Like if Highgarden's flourishing, then that can provide a lot of support for a lot of people in what will likely be difficult times post-winter, post-others, post however many civil wars you want to lay at the feet of the different lords and ladies and kings and queens. The answer to our Crivia question. A Lord Hightower once claimed the Red Mountains were green until a certain king invaded and painted them with Dornish blood. What king was that? The answer is almost in the question. Garth the painter. <laughs> Another painter. Yes. So he was the king. Garth? Yeah, a Garth. Garth the painter? Yeah. So he took over. He was the king that I said that after the, the Tyrells resettled the, the sack of, of Highgarden and got it all going again, it was a descendant of the new king, the second cousin of the dead king that Tyrells placed in charge. I think it was Myrne the Sixth. VI. Myrne the Sixth son was this. Garth the painter, who is determined to get revenge for the destruction of the Oaken Seed and the burning of Highgarden and all that, and apparently he did so. Given that quote, he painted the the Green Mountains red.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting name. Kind of a I don't know what word to use. Ironic name. But it seems like oh, he's this artsy guy. He's a painter. No, he paints with blood. Yes. Yeah,
0: he only paints in one color, yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't. And it's not real paint. Yeah,
2: he goes hard in the paint. He goes hard in the paint. <laughs>
0: Garth <laughs> Jordan. Also, yeah. oh, you
2: did know it was okay. I didn't know it was a basketball reference until last night. Going
0: hard in the paint. Yeah, that is. Yeah, a basketball I just thought reference. it was
2: a rap thing. And then I was like, that was like explain to me that, that was a basketball reference. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, so you'd know.
0: Yes. Mentioned other episodes we mentioned that would be relevant to this one or connected to it in one way or another. Septon Barth episode for one. House Manderley, both parts, but especially part one, which deals with their time in the South. Part two is is mostly about them being in the North after having moved. If you want to check those out, then tune in next week for the episode on Nath, Nath, however you want to say it. Again, it won't be a live
2: stream. Nah. Nath.
1: No, you got to do it.
2: You got to do it. Just can you do nah. it? Okay, thank Nath. you. Nath. Yeah, Nath. That was yours.
1: I want to point out, by the way, that I thought the Nath pronouncers also Myrn came up a few times. It almost sounds like a the, there's a stutter and the connection. <laughs> Myrn.
3: Mern.
0: <laughs> Mern. Myrn.
1: Uh. What you talking about, Myrn? Mm.
0: They got Myrn and Willis. We're but yeah, Willis? that
2: episode, the, the North episode will be a live premiere, so you can still tune in and have your live chats, but we will not be able to reply to live chats. But that's still right. community and all that. And then please come join me for Street Fighter tonight.
0: Yeah, join the for Street Fighter if tonight. If you're listening
2: later, it'll be on the replay, the, the VOD or whatever will be on Twitch for whatever a week after. Yeah. So you could still watch it over.
0: As well as my CK3 streams, yeah. which have been Tywin Lannister lately. We're building a big burgeoning proto-empire in the West, trying to get big and wealthy and strike out and be independent. Lots of, of course, fun things happening in that stream.
2: is CK3 streams also live on our YouTube in an unlisted video. But if you go to our playlist for Crusader Kings 2 and 3, you can see all the unlisted episodes. That's, what, that's our little trick for that yeah. is we, we make them unlisted. And then if you go to a playlist, you, they're listed there. Play that's listed. right. So, uh, you can still watch those back as well. There's two episodes in that Tywin Lannister campaign so far. Yep, that's right.
0: We'll be continuing that for the time being and then eventually restarting with a different house ck three still in beta, so basically we still getting our feet wet with all of it, but it's beautiful. The way it looks, it's great. The people who came these last few Fridays have been really having a great time, so you might consider joining us.
2: Mm-hmm. There's uh, a poll going on our Patreon for what time you might want to join us for Quiplash or Trivia on a monthly Hangout session. Yeah. just a, you know, If you feel like voting or saying that none of those times work for you, that is particularly relevant for us to know. There's a significant portion of you who could just never make it yeah. to those times. We'd really like to know that.
0: That's right. So we're, that's part of our planning and, and scheduling and getting all that set. So figuring out how many people will be there and all that. But mostly we'll just do it by trial. Hopefully not much error, but we'll get a <laughs> yeah. trial. Thank you to anyone who supports us on Patreon or through Spotify subscription. We really rely on that. Without y'all, we would not be able to do this full time. And that enables us to spend a lot of work, keeping ourselves immersed in the material and yeah. thinking about it and planning and doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff that y'all don't see. A lot of work goes into, for example, just managing our back catalog. It's the bigger it gets, the more work that is managing backups. And whenever something changes, we need to modify like 300 old episodes to change that.
2: Oh, God, <laughs> that's like nightmare. That when happens. Something like that yeah. happens. And it's like, oh, okay. Yep. We have a lot of episodes that then need to all be changed. Anyways.
0: certainly a lot. Some podcasts really are just people getting in front of a mic and talking. We are not that sort of podcast. uh,
2: Yeah, no, I had a funny (laughs) thing where a friend of mine asked me, like, for help with podcasting, like, asked what our outline, like, what's a sample outline look like? What's a sample format? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't think I'm the person you want Mm -hmm. to model yourself after. And I, like, sent her a video of a document. I was like, this is a 20-page document. I don't yeah. think you need that. But like, if you really wanted to see my outline, this is it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this one, for example, for this episode was 22 pages.
2: Yeah, <laughs> 22 pages. And I mean, it has quotes and text, but the formatting is pretty tight. It's not like it's 22 loose pages. To, yeah, you
0: know. I have section yeah. headers and, yeah, and like organized that, by but, chronology. And, but, yeah. like,
2: if you tightened it to, like, be as compact as you could without, like, section headers or something, it's still, like, going to be 18 pages. 18 pages, know, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways. Cool.
1: Well, yeah. Which, so, incidentally, patrons have access to these documents, right? Yeah. That's true. Good call, Sean. Indeed, we do. We give access
0: to all our documents, new and old. That's a lot of documents. So, yeah, folks, if you want to sign up, support us on Patreon or on Spotify subscription. That would be great. We would really appreciate it. Enables us to uh, all the things done that we need to get done. So hopefully I've given you an insight into some of the behind the scenes work. I'm sure we'll explore some of that at another time. But for now, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thanks to Nina for her great notes. I know I say this almost every time, but they were particularly strong today.
2: I would like you to say they were particularly weak today, actually. <laughs> I've <yet> to feel, <laughs> you I've get to feel that.
0: that way. I
2: know. I can't imagine <laughs> you saying that. That it would be a...
0: funny. People would be like, what? Like, I'm oh, just kidding. No, they were great. <laughs> gotcha.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Joey, Jesse, and Bran, thanks to y'all for your your contributions via our music and, and editing. And to Michael Plarfelt as well for that. And Extra Max. big
2: thanks to, Mike, thanks to Michael today. We used lots of his art.
0: Yes, Indeed. And to the ben for sound quality assistance as well. He's still in the fold, working with us, and we are grateful for that. All right, folks. My ass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you were playing fighting games with him last night.
2: I played Ben, not in Street Fighter, but in Tekken last night, and he's really good. For context, my prowess in Tekken is almost 10,000. That's how much practice I've had. His prowess in Tekken is almost 60,000. So that just, the numbers don't need to mean much to you, but you can tell that he's six times better than me easily. <laughs> anyway, or more experienced. maybe not better, but more experienced. Anyways. You Ben's need a couple great. of
0: peaches, reach peaches, that'll even yeah, things hope, out. Yeah, I hope
2: he's, he's listening as he edits this a little bit and he hears us say he's <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's right. I did kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He'll just record a, little, a few lines to stick in there that yeah. we'll know. <Exactly>. That is not what his voice sounds like at all. That would be funny.
2: <laughs> that would actually be very, really, uh, very amusing. Aziz will find out because Aziz does another pass where he edits. Our, our episodes are quite edited, y'all. Like Ben goes through, and then Aziz goes through too. So yeah,
0: I, I edit the whole thing. I mean, he he does the sound quality, but then I do the like editorial cutting, certain lines out and things like that. Yep. yep. That's why sometimes it isn't out till the afternoon on Monday rather than Monday early morning because. I usually get the file around 9 or 10 p.m., and then I, it takes me until about 4 or 5 in the morning to finish. Sometimes yes. I have to sleep first. <laughs> <The best. laughs> anyway, Brilliant. folks, thanks again for for everything, for listening, watching, recording, etc. I already said that, but I'm going to say it again because we're that appreciative. And we'll see you next time. For more, Till then, you know what to do. Valar, be